Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is a Four Center podcast feed, which means I am Ken Napsack. And it means I am Joseph Scrimshaw. And we are with you to finally release ourselves from the restraint of talking about the Mandalorian because, in theory, the entire world, or most of the world, or at least our friends in the UK, 
now have access to the Mandalorian. So this week's show is going to be all about the Mando and Baby Yoda show. A look back, some reflections, a look ahead, and our chance to discuss it here. We, of course, had the Mandalorian report, Joseph, but now the cat's out of the bag, or at least the blurg is out of the house. The Blurg is out of the house. That's right. We can just let all of our uh, baby Yoda thoughts hang out right here on the main show, and it's going to be great. <laughs> let it all hang out with the baby Yoda stuff. Um, before we dive into a lot of things, this this promises to be a, a very full show. I want to remind you, to, uh, remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash four center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from. For your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, as always, we'll have our Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Star Wars and Life Adventures is always something we talk about here. And, well, life is still confusing and weird and scary and sometimes just boring, which is sometimes you have to admit that just to kind of wrap your head around the whole situation. But we all uh, very much understand the uh, the world the world, uh, the world, uh, the world's hurting right now. We understand that as we discuss this. But Joseph, uh, what's going on with you and Star Wars and life adventures? Yeah, yeah, life is uh, always an adventure, but a specific, different kind of adventure right now. It's like we are we're playing a, a different uh, side quest in a way, I guess, uh, fighting yeah. a big bad. Uh, but I didn't manage to have uh, some Star Wars adventures. Haven't had much time to play Battlefront Two uh, because I have been uh, busy with uh, all sorts of different kinds of work. Uh, but I had a, a, a fun little Star Wars adventure where there is a um, a Star Wars viewing society at Cambridge, and they reached out because they wanted to write an article about positivity in the Star Wars fandom, and they wanted to write this article while acknowledging that there is a there's a dark side to the fandom as well. Uh, so I had a lot of fun. Uh, the, I was asked just to, hey, share a couple thoughts. And as listeners to Force Center know, sometimes that's a challenge for me. So I just said, I'm writing all my thoughts and I trust you to edit. And they put out a great article. I, I retweeted it on the Force Center podcast feed. Uh, it's got some great contributions from other Star Wars podcasters like Laura Kelly uh, and uh, our friend Jamie Stangroom. Um, mm. So I would suggest people go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you are definitely, uh, if I if I need a uh, expert in positivity in Star Wars, you, you should be first on that Rolodex there. So that, if, if Force Center listeners haven't checked that out, please do. How about your, uh, how about yourself? What kind of adventures are you having? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was waited. Wow, uh, everything's good. Everything's good, man. We're, 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 uh, we're hungry out here. Yeah, not as much Battlefront time. Uh, I've been streaming a lot more. I did the Lego build stream this past weekend, the brick building. I got used to saying that for legal reasons, brick building. And I built the full-sized Zori Bliss Y-Wing Resistance Starfighter, as they call it. And that not only was a lot of fun to do, but it's it's a fun set. The advancements in Lego technology. I, I, you can actually turn a little thing and little bombs drop. It's what? crazy. Yeah. Do you have to build the? Do you have to build the bombs? You do, you do. They're just uh, little three pieces, though. Uh, it was a pretty fun build. Uh, my first challenging build uh, since I started doing this, and uh, it comes with Zori, Poe, a uh, Kajimi Snow uh, Force First Order uh, Snowtrooper, uh, her uh, Zori's astromech, which we don't really know too much about, and also a little Dio. Oh, that's a great set. It's a great set indeed. So it's fun to kind of 
play uh, play along with that. And uh, unfortunately, I do kind of ha- I'm gonna have to put straight to storage. But I'm keeping these sets built, and then do something nice with them maybe around the Christmas time. But that was that was my Star Wars ed- and life adventure. Uh, was that? Oh, also, you know what I did? I did get the Art of Rise of Skywalker book with some guilt, though I got to say. Yeah, because I had to order it. And right now I'm trying to not to order things that aren't essential. I don't want to clog the 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 post office lanes. But I was like, I I wasn't going to do it. And then I started seeing people, uh, no problem with it. But started people tweeting out pictures, and I was like, ah, oh, gosh, you know what? I I I I, I got to get that. <laughs> so yeah. I ordered, ordered some essential items with it, and it showed up. But uh, yeah, I do have that. I think there's a, you know, there's a light and a dark side. It, you know, it also helps to keep uh, all the, uh, the, you know, that economy thing moving along. That's that's good, too. It very much is. Been ordering uh, some takeout, doing all that kind of stuff, too, as well. So thank you for making me feel a little bit better. <laughs> I try. Oh, my other Star Wars adventure that I wanted to share, uh, I posted pictures of it on my social media. Uh, many, oh, God, probably a year, two years ago, uh, my wife came home and was like, I saw this Star Wars fabric at Joanne Fabrics or whatever, and I had to purchase it. Super cool. Uh, Darth Vader, kind of a Day of the Dead aesthetic, but it is Vader's face, but there's just very cool artwork to it. And uh, it was one of those perfect things where I put that fabric, I did not put it away. I just put it on a spot on the floor near the bed. And it was one of those things where I know exactly where that is because I never put it away. So when it came time to uh, make some masks, uh, like they're recommending to go outside, and Sarah's like, do you, I have a lot of fabric. And I was like, I know what I want. <laughs> I've got my Vader fabric right on the floor. And I, I even asked her like, can you, can you center it? So Vader's right in the middle. So now I'm just, I'm so excited for the next time that I absolutely have to go outside uh, that I can wear my cool Vader mask. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. If you got to go out, wear a mask. If you got to go out with a mask, make it a Vader mask. <laughs> Look at you. You are just, you're such an old radio man. You're pitching copy right there. There you go. There you go. Uh, protect with the mask of Darth Vader. It protected him. It works. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't argue with that. It clearly worked. Kept him going. Kept him going. Look what happened when he took it off. All right. <laughs> oh man. That's great. No, that's great. I saw that picture too. Forgot about that. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I, you know, uh, th- this has been a lot of fun, by the way. Thank you to all the Force Center listeners. We, we feel your support. Uh, we've been recording remotely, and it's going great. It's going great. Technology, it makes it all possible, but uh, it's always, it's a little weird not being one-on-one and seeing each other's uh, faces react to all the uh, information presented. But we're going to, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, we're going to go into the news now, as we often do. And uh, there's a lot of things here this week in the in the news, Joseph. Um, uh, big things to talk about, sad things to talk about, and interesting things to dive into. And the first thing is this io9 article, and this came out um, a little bit ago. We're covering it now. It's our chance to talk about it. It came out uh, about a week ago, and it was written by James Whitbrook, Whitbrook excuse me, uh, for uh, io9, uh, as, as I said. And the headline was very tantalizing when I saw it pop up online there. Our fascination with canon is killing the way we value stories. And I said, yes, please. Let me read this. Um, So I'll just run through some key points, uh, Joseph, then we'll we'll just kind of freeform dive into this here. One of the things he talked about, uh, critics and fans alike are now less interested in actually interpreting a piece of media thematically or to engage with why they liked or disliked it, but instead uh, to pick it apart and break it down 
to the base components of what are essentially it's pure unflinching facts. That's from the article directly. And this wasn't just about Star Wars, Joseph, but it did. It was focused on Star Wars. I think that's kind of um, uh, at the focal point of a lot of these conversations and the word canon, I think, most associated with Star Wars there. So let's start with that first point there. What do you think about that big that big opening uh, thesis statement there? I think it's definitely, uh, I agree with the idea that canon is a risk. Uh, as Admiral Akbar would say, canon is a trap. Uh, or it can be a trap. Um, I think that it's this idea, exactly like what the article is saying, that if you get distracted by nothing but what are the facts, do the facts match up perfectly, it can take away a little bit of the uh, fun and romance. And I say that as somebody who absolutely loves the canon but i think the canon is only bad to me when you let it distract you from thinking through the bigger ideas or making interpretations you know like um one example for me is like we're going through this with the mandalorian now which we can talk about on the main show uh that in the show the mandalorian there are some different ideas about Mandalorian culture and how helmets work. And is it a people or is it a creed? And if you're overly obsessed with canon, I think you can just go, that doesn't agree with another fact I heard, so it's wrong. Whereas I think if you can enjoy canon but be open-minded, it's a gift. Because what it is is saying, hey, the Mandalorians aren't a monolith. They don't all think the same. They don't all have the exact same culture. There are multiple ways to be a Mandalorian, and that's interesting to think about. So I, I think that's my big picture thing is I love canon, and I think it only becomes bad when it cuts you your, yourself off from, from approaching things with a wide, open mind and ready to explore how different facts might interact together. Yeah, I, I, no secret, we're, we're kind of in the same spot here. Uh, this is kind of why I, I think over the years, uh, you, me, and Jennifer have worked so well together. It's it's not that I don't love it, and it's not that I sometimes don't think on it. Think on it. Like, I'll definitely think on, uh, you know, ooh, uh, what year is this? When was this? What was going on? Well, this was going on, and does it affect? You mentioned the Mandalorian thing. We're going to talk about it, so I'll save bigger thoughts for that. But, yeah, that's something I still kind of not even wrestle with, but just kind of like, mm, okay. What are they doing with that? Because that doesn't jive with what I think uh, in terms of what canon Mandalorians and canon are. And, and you can get caught up on that. And I think it ties a lot going back to, to the beginning where – and this is thrown back a lot. I think it's thrown – if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, I can throw this in people's faces, right? Like, well, uh, Pal Emperor Palpatine, we didn't know who Palpatine was in New Hope. We just knew he was. We that's all we knew. So why are you held up on the details? Why are you worried about how he showed up now in Rise of Skywalker and everything? And we can kind of throw it back in the face of people. Um, but all that means is just to remind ourselves that we just, the details came later. Uh, you've talked often, uh, Joseph, we've talked about it here, about um, it just creates more wonderful opportunity for stories to be told and information to be learned and to just kind of be in the present moment with the stories. And I think, I think that, that's our kind of statement. This article doesn't directly necessarily back that up, but it's in the same ballpark, which makes the the article kind of, uh, you know, have a lot of value for me. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I do agree with the article. I, I But I will also say I think in some ways the article is, for me, not overly harsh. It is focusing on 
here's how canon can go bad. And actually, the article does say lots of great things about canon, but concentrates on how it can go bad. Uh, for me, and for people listening, we're like, what? I like canon. What I will say for canon is I do think it has a ton of value. It, it does, to me, really make the story sometimes juicier when you realize this character knows this character or this character has, you know, it, it's it's something as dumb as, Oh, Weasel was a character who was betting on pod races and hanging out with the gangsters. But then something happened in his life that he said, that's not the person I want to be anymore. And in fact, I will join this gang of people trying to fight back against the Empire. Like those little details on the negative side could just be like, yeah, I know that that's the same character in Phantom Menace and Solo, so I can win that trivia contest. That could be a dark and dangerous path. But I feel so, I enjoy that canon so much and the fun surprise of it because it can fire your imagination. And I think it's also a way for the creators to say, hey, I I, I think it is great you as fans invest uh, this time and this energy and, and we invest that same time and energy. And if you want to immerse yourself in this world, it's going to be a really rich and detailed and interconnected world. Yeah, and, and and I love being rewarded for that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a weird term because I think now, and this is part of what the article might, what I've been tapping into. Just now, I heard a lot of. Oh, I stopped reading the Star Wars book. It just was it was waste of my time. I didn't feel acknowledged. I didn't feel rewarded in the movies because none of it was there. You know, this direct connections, and I I, I don't like that approach. I, I I well the the checklist kind of thing of well, it should have been Akbar in in Holdo's place, is is not a bad thought on the surface, but that's just you need a, a canon checklist of people you already knew put in the seats that you already that you want filled, where there was something much more powerful going to the new canon of Amelin Holdo going back to her teenage years with Leia, and I I think you can block yourself off there um which again is is something we've been saying for a while um uh, one interesting wrinkle here um is as whitbrook calls the placing of canon over a story a sort of gatekeeping because your love of star wars and, and of course other things is about how much you know versus what it makes you feel and i guess the big question is joseph do we agree with this because you and i both are known as trivia guys you know, uh, you, me, Alex Damon, and, and Laura Kelly, and Drew DeMolanta, a lot of the Schmodown Star Wars competitors, we've done this. We're known as that. And I, so I, I think we'll start there. I love that aspect of being a Star Wars fan, right? Yeah, I, I delight in being able to uh, learn things and know things because it, it's both, it's more immersion and it's also, it's fun and silly, right? And I enjoy it on both those levels. Yeah, and 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 then what I've noticed, uh, especially especially as quite frankly as my as my trivia skills have slipped because <laughs> I don't study them as much. I don't feel the need. And and for those who who listen, and there are some crossovers of people who enjoy the movie trivia schmodown, a a very uh, you know uh, tense sometimes trivia competition that that used to be uh, much more of a sketch show than it is now, but. Um, I, I what I've seen for me is, is is that as confused as knowing Star Wars, and that might be a little bit what Whip, Whipbrook was talking about here is is then you you might be you might just be a a, a fan who's like oh my gosh I I loved um, that I love Solo that made me feel something and someone's going to come along and be like ah but it 
it didn't check this off here and and da, 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 and then you and you feel that's when the gatekeeping i guess sets in is what he's trying to say right yeah i think so i think uh i want to pull from an experience that i've had with my uh my other podcast obsessed where i ask people to come on and talk about something that they like a lot and i think it's because it's it's floating in the culture i see so many people self gatekeeping where they will say well, I really love Lord of the Rings, but I don't, I don't know it anywhere near as well as X, Y, or Z. So I can't talk about that. And I always have to convince people love is not knowledge. That's one way to express your knowledge. But facts are facts. And, you know, if you want to know, you know, exactly what year Greedo was shot, you can look that up. If you want to tell me... When, when you saw Star Wars as a kid and Greedo got shot, how it made you feel, what it made you think about who Han Solo is, then that's about you. Then that's about the story. And I always have to convince people with Obsessed, you don't have to look up facts. It's okay if you get a fact wrong because this is about your relationship with the thing. Um, and, and the last thing I'll take on to that because it's super relevant to you, Ken, uh, I have had so many people come on and say to the Obsessed podcast and say, I'd like to talk about the Beatles but there's no way that I know the most about the Beatles. I've had like four people say that to me in the last year. And it makes me sad to see people keeping themselves away from loving the Beatles because they don't feel like they've earned the right to factually take the crown. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, as you mentioned that, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm this huge Beatle fan. And there was a point of time where I could almost tell you could name a date, right? January 12th, 1963. I'd be like, Oh, they were in the studio. And now it's just, I just love what they make me feel. And, and, and I see it all the time with star Wars, you know, uh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know too much. I don't know that stuff. And, and again, again, I know because we're on these shows and we've, you know, competed for titles or whatever, the trivia champions and all that kind of stuff. That does not, you could get all those answers right, but still not know Star Wars and still not love it as, as much as you are capable of loving it if you're just worried about what Starfighter is, is what model a Starfighter is. Um, so uh, I don't, you know, you know, maybe you, this little, little switching gears here. I, I talk often, three of my favorite movies of all time are Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I just am every moved by those movies to no end, find so much inspiration to them. I could barely tell you the top 10 characters names in the movie <laughs> and I mean, from seeing them in the theater to seeing them once a year. Now could not, could not tell you, could not spell them, could not tell you. I remember hearing some questions in the early days of the, of, of the Schmodown, uh, you know, and Rachel Cushing who's just a master of the stuff uh, has been, uh, you know, so good at that. I, I just remember feeling lost. And then I thought, well, maybe I don't love it as much as I thought. Cause in star Wars, I got all this stuff. And then I had to remind myself, star Wars is a different beast for me. Kenner action figures made me pay attention to the background characters, books and everything. And it just grew into this thing. Um, Lord of the Rings. It's all emotion for me. It's all emotion for me. And I'm not, I'm not bogged down. And I think sometimes we can allow ourselves to be bogged down. And then, like you said, the self gatekeeping, that's, so that's, that's, that's something that's really, powerful <laughs> maybe even more than what james intended in the article what is yeah yeah and i just uh, think yeah. uh, people shouldn't do that yeah people shouldn't do that that's the that's the whole point of, uh, <laughs> people shouldn't do that yeah and then and then and then, <laughs> and then the flip side, and I'll, i'm gonna talk i'm gonna put the mirror up to me a little bit here and, and the flip side sometimes you know i get a little grumpy 
and that definitely been grumpy lately where, you know, people have some legit questions cause they're, they're not going in as deep as I go. And so, yeah, you might have some canon related questions to how Palpatine came back and I'm pounding the fist going, he came back. Here's how don't worry about it. Ask yourself why he came back. Ask yourself what that means to the story. So then that kind of, if I choose the dark side too much becomes its own gatekeeping too. Yeah. Yeah. No, there is definitely that risk. And I think that, uh, I try to be aware of that as well. Cause that is how I, in one of the ways I enjoy star Wars is people listen to this podcast. No, we really like to talk about the themes and the ideas. And I don't want that to become a kind of gatekeeping of that is the only way to watch star Wars. That is the only way to understand mm-hmm. star Wars, because if somebody comes at star Wars from a much more technical, I just, I like the cross sections. The ships are so cool. I want to memorize their names. Mm-hmm. That's cool too. If that's the way that you choose to approach star Wars. Absolutely. Many ways to uh, slice this uh, star Wars pie uh, go, going for, well, let me, what does Canon mean to you? Um, and I want to know that I want to know now I want to know then when did it really introduce itself to your life, Joseph, and, and going forward, how do you view it and how do you do this balance? I think for me, it's just knowing that the stories interconnect uh, is what canon has always meant to me. I think even as a kid, like reading the comic books, I had a sense like old Marvel comic books were like, you know, super weird stuff that would not happen on screen would happen. I had this, I don't, I didn't know the word canon, but I had this sense of like, oh, these are some things that might have happened, but the things that happened in the movie for sure happened. And Mm. the way that I like this modern canon is because it allows me to imagine the characters fully. So like a book I really like, like uh, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray that deals with Obi-Wan and how he, you know, but initially loved flying, but then he, you know, had a terrifying, uh, you know, incident uh, while flying a ship and at the same time discovered racing on a beast, which is more organic and he feels more connected. And reading a detail that I like about a character that I love, like Obi-Wan, it's, it's just really rewarding for me to carry that forward and then watch him ride Boga the Varactyl in Revenge of the Sith and know that's the same Obi-Wan years later who had that experience. That to me is the joyful part of canon where it just makes you celebrate a part of the story you like even more because it's more complex. It's more nuanced. There are more perspectives. That's a great way. You, you, yeah, that's the, using canon when canon's used to the best of it, to the fullest, fullest of its potential and the best of its ability it adds to the the character in the stories. It isn't just a stat on a card. And that you mentioned, yeah, that Obi-Wan stuff. That's I, that I remember just, you get a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling like, you know what that means? You know what that leads to? And now you have the answer. You have the what and the how of when Obi-Wan first connected to this, but, but digging in deeper to what it means is, is just as fun. Um, and, and, uh, I like and, and, and I I think that going forward is a good balance because I like knowing all those details details I I like knowing what's what, but even I can get lost in it. And you mentioned Master and Apprentice around that time, Master and Apprentice and Dooku Jedi Lost, which was the audiobook. I got a little. I was it was a lot of things going on in my life, working on some things, and I was reading them, trying to get prepared for the show, and and I just dropped a lot of the details. You remember I was doing the review of Jedi Lost. There was one whole plot point I was like, I missed that. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. 
There's a volume of it, too. I think that's a a concern, that there is such a volume of stuff to know. And if you define your love by what you know, that's where you can slip into self-gatekeeping. Because, yeah, there there are moments of uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. Like, I don't remember exactly how that happened. I don't remember that, uh, you know, Jedi's name. I remember liking the spirit of it. And and I don't ever want to slip and go, oh, no, I'm a bad fan because I haven't, Mm. you know, fully memorized that. I can look that up if we're going to talk about it on an episode. I'll look it up to refresh, and that's okay. That is okay. And thankfully, we have wonderful folks like Alex and Molly Damon who have these great channels that can go through and do, uh, you know, I used to joke about using them to study to try to defeat him in a competition. That's not going to work. <laughs> but to just go, wait a minute, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened to that character during this storyline? And I go to that, and I found it, and then, and then it does fuel my love for that story too, the little details that matter there. And I guess that's kind of the balance. That was my final thought on this is, is how do you feel you can uh, balance Joseph, the the hunger for facts with engaging with the story, which is one of our big things here at Forsyth. Yeah. I mean, I think it just enjoying the facts when they are enjoyable. Like I think a great, another great example is uh, the canon moment in a book where uh, Panaka sees Leia and he's like, God, that's got to be Padme's child. That's like, hey, that's a great, beautiful moment that enhances. So like you can just enjoy those. Uh, But I think my big picture thing is if you're feeling hung up on details, to just remember the complexity of uh, real life and apply it to Star Wars and remember that just because a character says something doesn't necessarily mean it's true because characters can be unreliable narrators. Um, if a character does something that's just like really illogical to the facts, it might be because that character is not in a great place and is making an emotional choice rather than a rational choice. Um, and then to go back again to my Mandalorian example of if we're told something about a culture that disagrees with something else we've told about the culture, that might because be because the culture isn't a monolith. So I think of those big picture things of sometimes the facts, there's so much more to the story than the facts. It's about, you know, who the characters are, why they make those choices. Great way, great way to kind of bring it home there, Joseph, with some of um, things I enjoy about uh, canon and the hunger for the facts and what I enjoy about these stories and engaging with what's presented to us because you talk about, you know, I don't know, Obi-Wan and his beliefs on who the chosen one are. Uh, I hear a lot of, you know, pushback. Well, no, 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 it's this, it's this, it's this. It was stated here. And actually then the people start bringing in, well, in this interview, George said this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's not the story. Obi-Wan doesn't know who George Lucas is. <laughs> this is the story and this is his beliefs. And uh, you mentioned, you know, this, the big, the big one, I think the big one, Luke Skywalker and how many times oh, that that's not my Luke. That's not the connection to it. That to me was an example of, of you had a bunch of what you thought were facts down on a piece of paper and, and actions that you had seen him do before. And you didn't allow for the character to grow or in some cases falter. And, and that puts a clamp down on storytelling and, and no secret, no surprise that we kind of have that point of view. Um, and it was just, it was interesting to see this article out and about and, and going around making the rounds. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, next up here is the uh, headline here that I, I I totally missed for two days. And that's what happens when you mute words and phrases and forget. Um, shout out to our Discord people for bringing this to my attention. But, uh, Joseph, this is uh, from Variety. We are there. The first report that Joby Harold now has the writing helm uh, for Kenobi taking over for Hosina Mini, who left slash was removed in January. Um, Harold has more producing credits than as a writer, uh, but he did write uh, King Arthur and is working on the Army of the Dead remake script and developing a new Transformers film, among other things. But again, a lot of his credits on the producing side. Nothing official from Lucasfilm, something we always should just say out there, even though uh, Variety is a pretty solid place to take some news from. So uh, needs to say, news is met with some uh, mixed or different reception. So, Joseph, uh, your, your thoughts on this uh, news article here? Uh, yeah, I, I, it was uh, for me. Again, uh, this is probably good reporting, but we don't know. Again, it hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm, so uh, mm. take a deep breath just in case kind of thing. Um, and then I have to say, uh, it, inside my Kenobi-loving heart, it was uh, met with mixed reception as well. I mm. love Kenobi so much. I'm so interested in what's done. I We did kind of a, a deep dive on who Hussein Amini is, and there are some great interviews with him and his thoughts, so I was really excited about him as a writer. It really felt like he was uh, kind of onto the vibe for Kenobi, in my opinion. Um, so then to see somebody come over who come in who isn't um, on paper mm. this blow-it-out-of-the-water, well-known uh, rock star of uh, television or cinema writing was is definitely concerning. Um, so I started from a place of... Okay, uh, need to take a deep breath. Um, I want to I want to give everyone a chance, right? Because your yeah. credits aren't all of who you are. Mm. Um, and and on, on one hand, it'd be great if it was, you know, a writer that we all knew and a lot of the fans knew and respected. That's great. But want to be open minded, give them a chance. Uh, maybe it is amazing. Um, and then, yeah, th- those were my initial reactions of uh, I'm a little a little uh concerned confused but i want to give it a chance I, I think it's very honest in all all aspects of what you're feeling here and and this is a great example of a of, of a character that you, you you more than love you 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 can't help but be protective of of this character in your own mind um uh, i think that's what we as fans bring to the table sometimes and and yeah there's no doubt like uh, Sinomini, we went deep into his credits and what they and they all seem to translate to kenobi in some way or another, combine some of his inter- interviews. So I, I think you're right to be like, hmm, what happened? Because because again, I'm saying left in January. It, by all intents and purposes, he was he was removed from the project or fired from the project. Again, we don't know. We don't know. Um, so I don't know. And Deborah Chow's still directing, still in charge. You know, that's still great and still uh, provides me with a lot of confidence, especially re-watching Mandalorian this weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, developing a new Transformers film is not something that instills a lot of confidence in me, <laughs> but that's not a comment on him. That's just a comment on, uh, outside of one or two passable films, something I didn't enjoy, you know, and I have the Transformers kid. So I, I, I feel, I feel you on a lot of different levels, Joseph. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I appreciate, uh, uh, being felt, <laughs> um, <laughs> I did. I did want to do. A, I did a little bit more of a a deep dive on on what he has actually done because I think a lot of people were really leading with the reaction to he hasn't written television in particular, um, and kind of how long who exactly he is and how long his career has been going. So um, 
if you don't mind me spilling out some facts, uh, so he Please. wrote and directed a movie called Awake in 2007 uh, that starred uh, Hayden Christensen, among other people. Um, he co-wrote this recent, uh, I think as you have in here, uh, King Arthur, uh, Legend of the Sword, I believe. Um, yeah. That Army of the Dead movie is it's written. It's it's I think either being filmed or or I think it's either been filmed or is paused right now. Um, and then also he has been a, a producer on things that a lot of people, including myself, like like some of the John Wick movies, uh, the Edge of Tomorrow movie, which I think is great. And I think a thing to really keep in mind with producer in Hollywood producer could mean everything from i have money and vanity and i gave some money and demanded credit and i never lifted a damn finger to i am there every day contributing creatively so without really knowing the behind the scenes you know it is possible that he has had a lot more uh writerly creative shaping a world making big creative choices than maybe uh we're initially giving him credit for because we don't know his name as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and uh, the thing you said up top of just your, your credits aren't necessarily who you are, or what you're capable of. And we're all, we're fully aware of that, but this is, this is part of the fun to dive on in here. And Hey, look, he directed a movie with Hayden. Well, there you go. Confirmed. Hayden is back for Kenobi, right? <laughs> yep. Exclusive here on Force center. Hayden's back. Now that will be run with. Well, we will see uh, right now, you know, a lot of productions are up in the air and we'll see what happens. And again, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a team process when you're putting all this stuff together. So he could just be the next in a line of, of people working on these things, but we shall see. We'll update you on more. Uh, next headline here, a little quick one here, a little light thing, but we love collecting here. hope you guys listened to our star Wars rank last week with our 30th anniversary figures uh, list there. The uh, star Wars uh, toy shelves are going to have some new sh- uh, toys real soon uh, figures. Uh, we got uh, the carbonized collection, which is, Something I have not partaken in yet, but these are highly, highly detailed six-inch figures. We're getting a Boba Fett added to the collection and a Stormtrooper a metallic version. The Black Series six-inch line will get the wonderful additions of Admiral Akbar, the Mando, Mandalorian, uh, Tebow, which is a great and weird choice, and Darth Vader, uh, Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader, which uh, is high, looks like a highly detailed figure. And then finally... Uh, for you, Joseph, three and three quarter line, the vintage collection, K2SO and Clone Commander Wolf. Which one of these are you going to add to your collection? Uh, well, I, I like that the uh, Black Series Mando that they're putting him out in his upgraded armor because uh, they, they have previously released his uh, the beginning of the season uh, beaten up Beskar. Um, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> excited about Tebow because it's it, he's, you know, a, a favorite Ewok uh, around here. Uh, and I am, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the dark side. I'm I'm just okay. cranky about the vintage figures, about the three and three quarter. Look, yeah. I got I got nothing against K2SO, got nothing against Commander Wolf, but, and I know these aren't all the announcements, but they have so many cool characters from the Rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian that they haven't made at all. And you can get other, you know, K2SO figures a bunch. Uh, no, no, no offense to... Hardcore uh, K2SO stands out there, uh, but they haven't even made a Kylo with the cracked helmet yet. They haven't made a, a, a three and three quarter uh, fin uh, yet, you know? Uh, oh. So, I, you know, I'm, where's my client? I want my three and three quarter Werner Herzog. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, look, I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, K2SO fan. Uh, indeed. I don't know if I call myself a stand, but it sounds right. I, um, you know, I know I don't collect the three and three quarter line. Fine. K2SO, but clone commander Wolf. I mean, no disrespect to clone wars fans, clone commander Wolf fans. I I'm unsure of the decision-making process to get to that point. I, I, I wonder if there are people that are just troop collectors or if you really, uh, started, uh, as a Clone Wars fan, you're the perfect age for uh, buying vintage figures. And yeah, I, I, I think I would care uh, I, uh, less about it if the next few that are announced are figures that haven't been done yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want Jedi training Leia. I, I want Ben Solo with the, the Skywalker saber and the hole in his sweater. Like, I really want some of these, uh, some of these uh, figures that haven't been made yet. Yep, uh, I'm right there with you. Right, right there with you. Um, I, again, no disrespect to Commander Wolf. <laughs> no disrespect to her. The other ones look nice. Tebow. All right, I do want to. We can't go too far past this news article without talking about Tebow. Yeah, so we finally get an Ewok in the six-inch line. Uh, they go with Tebow, which is both just a wonderful decision and a weird decision. What say you, sir, about Tebow joining the fight? Uh, I like it because he is one of the more terrifying of the Ewoks uh, with the skull on his head. He is ready for battle. Excellent point. Excellent point. Because I would love a wicket. I love Poplu with a with an open Coors Light. I low grade <laughs> Chief Chirpa. Give me a low grade Chief Chirpa set. I don't know. Give me a three PO in the chair with Chirpa or low grade around. Give me a Walkling. But when I was looking at the figure, uh, second, third, fourth time, I was like, you know what? He's he is fierce. That 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 uh, skull uh, on his head that that is a neat design, and I think that's probably fun for the figure designers, and and that's probably why Tebow's there. So, Tebow, welcome to the team. <laughs> uh, we got uh, this one a couple of things. There was uh, there was some casting Andor news. I didn't exactly add uh, while we're recording today. I think a, a, a set designer or art designer added to the uh, casting Andor team i'll look that up here while we're talking but uh last week uh, on starwars.com uh, dan brooks helped roll out uh high republic characters this is um uh some of the characters some of the many characters uh, either names we've heard before but a little more detail on them and some of the designs we have i'll read the list and i'll go back through some descriptions here avar chris loden great storm there's a star wars name kev trennis Stellan Geos and Vernestra Vern Raw, who uh, we had, I uh, believe, been familiar with because of Justina Ireland's forthcoming book. She's in that one, I do believe, if memory serves. Um, all right, Joseph, where do you want to go? Which one of these figures is grabbing you by design? And then I can read their description. Yeah, I love that you said figures because we're already thinking of get, getting action figures of them. Um, That's true. The, they, they all they all look cool. I like the descriptions of all of them, but I immediately did that thing of like, yep, that's that's my guy. And it's a Loden Great Storm. And the, I saw the name. I saw that he was a Twi'lek. I saw that he had a yellow blade. And I was like, I'm all in. And then I read his description. And I was like, I'm all in even more. Uh, sounds like he's got some some Obi-Wan style to him that he is the patient master with a sense of humor who thinks everything could be a learning opportunity. Like, ah, oh man, Loden, great storm. I, I want him to mentor me right now. Such a medieval name. Very uh, epic. Yeah, Loden is a twilight Jedi master. is considered to be one of the best teachers in the Jedi order. Strong and wise with a good sense of humor. 
Loden looks at every moment as a learning experience, always trying to better himself and those around him, especially as Padawans. Yeah, that that definitely connects with some of the traits of Obi-Wan indeed. And all these characters, I'm sure a lot of you saw them uh, out there. They, they definitely, I mean, this Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table kind of thing we're going for uh, is, is, is popping up in all the designs here. Avar Chris is the brightest, most noble example of Jedihood. She always tries to see the good in people and situations and never puts herself first. Invigorated about life on the frontier and the challenges it brings. So a lot of that going to be in this story. Uh, she's compassionate, not dogmatic, uh, always ready to sacrifice herself over others. Avar Chris is the best of the best. And she she looks like a Targaryen met <laughs> Prince Caspian. I don't know. She looks great. It's it's a green lightsaber, big hilt, uh, flowing robes. Uh, I, I like this design here. Yeah, I like the design. I, I'm really intrigued by the character description. If the High Republic, you know, is an effort, as they've described it even in this article, to, to show when, yeah, the Jedi were individuals who had challenges and made mistakes, but in general, they are noble. They're great uh, heroes. It's cool to see this, uh, to kind of lead with uh, this Jedi who's maybe held up by the other Jedi as like, um, we're all trying to be as good as, uh, as Avar Chris. And then uh, for myself personally, I, I don't know if Ken, if you've ever watched uh, Parks and Rec, but this just read to me of like, what if Leslie Nope uh, was a Jedi? And that made me real happy. <laughs> hey, Amy Poehler finally in Star Wars. I love this idea. Uh, uh, reading through the other ones here, Kev Trennis, she's a young firebrand. I believe they have a great future ahead of her. If only she would believe it herself, quick-witted and more impulsive than she should be. Uh, Kev uh, has only been a Jedi for uh, a few weeks and is a little starstruck around Avar, knowing many of the great things Chris has done in the past. She's determined to prove herself to Avar and the other legendary Jedi stationed on the Starlight Beacon, which we know is where a lot of the story is going to at least start. For, first, she must learn to trust herself as much as she trusts the Force. So I guess, Joseph, slight potential spoiler, this is a character, at least a character by the name of uh, Master Trennis, I believe, was mentioned by Yoda and Dooku Jedi Lost as something bad happening, right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I did not, as we were discussing, I have not memorized as many of the details from uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, but I know that uh, there's a ton of little High Republic uh, nuggets in there. That I'm I'm happy for that. I, I kind of like some of that uh, prequel storytelling where you might know that something bad is going to happen, but you don't know what or how is a fun tension. Yeah. First of all, you know, sir, come on, get with the canon, man. Start making a checklist of all the things, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I, to be honest with you, I would not have known if I hadn't seen, uh, I think, Kevin Scott get tweeted about it. Um, I would not have immediately picked that up. And again, as I said up top, missed a lot of details in Dooku Jedi Lost because every time I put it in my ears to listen, I went for a walk and then I just started getting distracted. Um, but interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, and you can see there's some stuff there. Hey, if she would only believe in herself. She acts uh, impulsively. A lot of, lot of maybe uh, clues in the description. Final uh, two here: Stellan uh, Geo, Stellan is optimistic and well-respected Jedi Master. Came up through the Order with Avar Chris. Uh, they work together. Uh, they're a powerhouse team of two noble heroes in action, strong in the Force, and a natural teacher. Stellan is currently stationed at one of the Jedi Temple outposts on the distant planet of Cargon Veneer or Viner. Uh, and then uh, Vernestra Vern Raw, uh, newly minted Jedi Knight. Um, she was a Padawan to Stellan Geos. She works hard and is devoted to Jedi Order more than so than others her age. At 16, she's one of the youngest knights in a generation. Not this generation, just in a generation. She struggles to fit in with the adults while also setting a good example for younger 
Jedi. And I do believe we've already uh, got a picture of a little bit of what her stories will be. So any thoughts on those final two uh, players in our cast, Joseph? Yeah, yeah. Still really excited about uh, Vern's story of the uh, young Jedi Knight. I think that's really, really cool. To, I think I made the Doogie Hauser uh, Jedi joke, and, and, and I mean it in a good way. I'm really excited by that. I like that Stellan is, since they're doing this whole knight thing, that he looks very, very stereotypically knight. That's really cool. Uh, and then my, I think my final thought that I wanted to run by you, because I did a double take, Keith Trennis... Her design looks a lot like Rafa Martez, doesn't it? Uh, it does. It's got the it's got that uh, hair. I I'm so unhip. I don't know what the style is, but the shaved on one side, hair on the other. I, I know it has a name. Uh, uh, you know, I, I you know I don't wear my dad jeans anymore. You can give me a break, but yes, no, absolutely, very very similar, uh, very similar indeed. Uh, which is nice, very modern. I like I like uh, you know for an old series set way in the past, even in this world, I like a little modern design there. Yeah, yeah. So those are my thoughts. You have any uh, final thoughts? I, I, yeah. I just, I, I do. I'm looking. I guess more and more looking forward to what's going to happen in here and what I can learn and putting it all together. And there's little kind of buzzwords that start pulling, pulling me in. Um, because I got to tell you, I think if you just showed me these pictures and just said, "Hey, would you want to hear stories about these uh, Jedi?" I'd be like, eh, you know, I'll, I'll hear it. I'll throw in some rebels, and we're good to go." Um, but the descriptions and the potential uh, pieces of drama, the details, and the frontier life, something about going around in the galaxy in an uncharted kind of world is, is pulling me in more and more. So looking forward to the High Republic era. All right. Um, I was also trying to look up the Cassian Andor news, and then, and then you just start going down weird wormholes that Kenobi might move to 2022 Andor. I, that posted an hour ago while we're recording hey we're not gonna worry about that right now <laughs> um <laughs> just in case someone tweets us about the news that's going on uh final story of the day uh sad one to report andrew jack passed away from the coronavirus covid19 andrew jack was of course major major general emot major first general later uh voiced moloch in solo but mostly known as a dialect coach with over 114 credits to his name Work included Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers, Lord of the Rings, Chaplin, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, one of his first ones, and was currently working on The Batman. Chris Miller of Lord Miller uh, Directing Producing Team tweeted up, Andrew Jack was a dialect coach on Solo and a kind and thoughtful man. We asked him to teach Alden to speak Sherwook, and I'll always remember listening to them gargle roar at each other back and forth. Uh, Andrew Jack with that white hair and that white beard, stood out in Force Awakens and Last Jedi. Uh, he'll be missed. He was 76. Uh, Joseph, uh, sad news, but uh, what can we? What joy can we bring to the situation about the great Emot? Yeah, extremely, extremely sad uh, to hear this. Um, I, I think mostly just wanting to be able to celebrate the contribution and the, the story inside Star Wars and the story outside of Star Wars. The idea that he is this... Um, long-time revered dialect coach who's worked on, if you're kind of a pop culture fan, almost every movie you like. Uh, and then that J.J. Abrams, the casting director, like, you just got to be in this movie is great. That, like, you, you, you're, you, you're charming, you look good on screen, let's do it, uh, is a cool story for the, the human being, Andrew Jack. And then he was one of the first characters in the sequel trilogy that they really got behind supporting in the books. All of those 
early uh, young reader books, the uh, Moving Target and Smuggler's Run. They invented this long uh, history of Emat going back to uh, the rebellion. And he was one of those first characters that I was thrilled to kind of smaller background character. That I was thrilled to learn their name and learn how connected they were uh, going back to the joys of canon. Uh, Major and General Emot was a character that really gave me canon joy. Love that. Well said. Well said. Yeah, part of the thing in Star Wars, that tradition, that's when canon really works. You see that guy? Here's his story, and here's why it matters and wakes those little moments even uh, mean that much more to us. So rest well, Andrew Jack. We'll all see you on the other side. Coming up, we're going to be taking our deep dive into The Mandalorian, or at least a deep dive look back at the series most of us got a chance to watch, and now we think... Hopefully, a lot more I've had a chance to watch. Uh, before we do that, though, we want to do our Force Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out. Joseph, what do we got today? I wanted to think of something that uh, was kind of in the general time frame of Mandalorian. So, again, you could have fun imagining what is the state of the galaxy. And the thing that jumped out to me was Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. It is a great read slash listen, and uh, the sequel is coming out relatively soon, so a good time to listen. Get into it and try one now. Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audiobook. On that, we're going to take a quick break, reset, and come back and talk about the Mando and Baby Yoda show. Mando, we'll see you on the other side of this break. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Force Center. It is the big show, the main show, the baby Yoda of our cast. I don't know how to look at it here. <laughs> we are about to dive into The Mandalorian Season 1. Joseph, take us into this. Some spoiler war- warnings. A lot of things going on before we start. Yeah, the, the first thing is definitely uh, the, the spoiler alert noise. Awooga, awooga, awooga. This is full spoilers. <laughs> Uh, we have absolutely held back on the main show because uh, some people just did not have the option to get uh, Disney Plus in the uh, UK and other parts of Europe. Uh, but now it's been like, I think uh, uh, we can have two weeks, uh, something like that. What is time anymore? Uh, but everybody has had a chance to watch. So uh, this is so exciting to be able to just, it feels freeing to just say the words Baby Yoda out loud on the main show. It's great. We did a, a pretty good job of not letting it slip up. There was a couple moments where I can remember I myself said something and was like, oh no, I think that was related to the show. I shouldn't have said that. But overall, I think we did pretty pretty good, Joseph. Yeah, we did We did pretty good. I definitely, uh, there was one time I definitely uh, slipped up uh, and then felt, uh, felt real guilty. Uh, but I think I'm going to forgive myself. <laughs> Let yourself go. Let it yeah. go. So uh, we're going to take a look back at season one. It's kind of fun to, uh, we did the week by week uh, Mandalorian reports where we really kind of did dig deep into the individual episodes like we uh, like to do. But this will be really fun to take uh, kind of a, a big picture look at the whole first season now that it's done. And we're going to look ahead a little bit to uh, season two because we haven't got to do a, a lot of the speculation and there's a lot to speculate. Uh, but before you and I do that, we have a special treat. We've got a recording from Jennifer Landa. That's right. She sent us a little tiny file titled Mandalorian Bite with a Y, and that's just the best. Here is Jennifer's thoughts on Mandalorian overall right now. The sequel era of Star Wars has been filled with excitement. It's also led to a lot of divisiveness amongst fans, but there is one thing that has brought all fans together, young and old, casual and hardcore, and that is Baby Yoda. Well, he's not really Yoda in baby form. The child, as he's officially known, has made people fall crazy in love with him. 
Maybe it's his oversized bat-like ears, or maybe it's his precious bulbous eyes. Whatever it is, the character has become a Star Wars superstar beyond even Disney's wild imagination. The key to Baby Yoda's success is perhaps that the character blends familiarity with freshness. This magic formula is the same reason the Mandalorian show works so well, in my opinion. I really like how the show plays on two levels for the viewer. You can dive deep into the lore of the Mandalorians and the Darksaber, if you're familiar with the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Or you can just sit back and simply watch the story unfold. For me, the show captures the true spirit of Star Wars in that it balances action and adventure with humor and physical comedy. Some have criticized the fact that the series is more of an anthology, but I personally enjoy that each week we get to explore a new area of the galaxy with a slightly different cast of characters. One of my favorite episodes is episode six, The Prisoner, where Mando meets a group of mercenaries led by actor and comedian Bill Burr. The Motley crew is made up of some fantastic character actors like Clancy Brown, Sons of Anarchy's Mark Boone Jr., and Natalia Tenna of Harry Potter and Game of Thrones fame. Natalia's performance is so fun to watch because her Twilight character is just unhinged and unpredictable and amazing. Director Rick Famuyiwa gives us some stellar visuals while also delivering some edge-on-your-seat moments. The tone of the episode feels a little bit more mature and, dare I say, grittier than what we've gotten from the films. And I love it for that. That being said, I like that not every episode is full of grit. Some episodes are more action-packed, while others are a little slower paced. And while the series had multiple directors, the show overall feels very cohesive. There are so many things to love about The Mandalorian, from the actors to the creatures, from the story to the surprises. It's the kind of show that has brought people together and brought new fans into the fold. Because even if you call it that Baby Yoda show, as I saw someone comment once, we can all agree that the child is worthy of all the chicky nuggies. I suppose this has been a happy beep because it's a little bit shorter than normal. Uh, Thank you, Ken and Joseph, so much for having me on this episode. I miss you guys. I miss the Four Center community. And I hope all of you are staying safe and healthy. All right, there we go. That's it's always great to hear Jennifer's voice there and such wonderful insights as normal. Yeah, yeah. A really, really uh, great uh, summary of The Mandalorian and all of the different reasons to love it, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. That's that's our that's our overall uh, thesis statement right there. Here's the whole show. Here's things to love. Here's different ways to look at it. Uh, I, you know, controversy, uh, all those wonderful things. And and I love her appreciation for Baby Yoda. It is it is. It leaps out of the out of the audio file. Yeah, yeah, and I always appreciate that uh, different uh, perspective that Jennifer brings. That uh, she always finds the uh, the cute and the joyful in Star Wars, while appreciating uh, the edgy, as she said as well. So it's it's great to have that uh, that uh, energy of Jennifer Landa back on the podcast. Uh, I want to dive into uh, our big picture reactions to season one. So Ken, what what is your uh, with a little bit of uh, time and distance, what's your big picture reaction to the whole thing 
uh, major favorite element, um, any major thing pulling you back? Overall, especially where I stand now, I'm just so happy to have this in the Star Wars world. So happy to have this certain style of storytelling, but it's still very much in the galaxy, still very much connected with things we know. And I'm glad that some patience was rewarded for the way the story was told. And I really enjoy that, especially looking at it now. I, I am more intrigued to go forward than I was. I think it was no secret, but also at the same time, I was holding back on some of my overall uh, feelings in, in some way. We try to be positively negative here in Star Wars. I had just, there were some moments I absolutely just did not like in this show. Um, it challenged me. It challenged my love, my unbridled passion for Star Wars. A lot of that has already faded away, as it often does. As it often does. <laughs> and uh, I, I challenge everyone to just kind of sometimes just take a breath and see where it goes and see what matters when you're watching it all huddled around Disney Plus on a Thursday night or a Friday, one in the morning. You're going to put a lot of pressure on, on, on the projects that you're watching. And so every little bump, and there's going to be bumps, just seems like a, a mountain. And a lot of those just don't exist for me as much at the time. Um, you know, again, again, we try for center positively negative means. We try to, more than anything, be respectful of everyone's points of view and everyone's passions. And, and there was a couple, you know, I didn't, Toro, I'll still say I, <laughs> I didn't like. But... Um, <laughs> It's just valuable. I think it's important for us as Star Wars uh, pundits to not just be like, pound the desk. I didn't like that. You have to know why and have to explain why, but also be respectful. So that a lot of that's faded away. Yeah. Anything um, Anything that hasn't faded, because I know you started a rewatch. Is there anything that even after like uh, taking some time and, and the, the big mountains uh, becoming small bumps, is there anything that's sticking with you that you're still wrestling with? I still, the look, some of the looks, some of it, some is just great. I, I wasn't expecting, I don't want anyone to think I was expecting like a, a $300 million movie each week. I wasn't, I wasn't. And the technology is amazing. Could you just imagine walking out out to a set and looking around you and a, a virtual Death Stars around you? Uh, I, I, I would love that. I'd love to be in that situation. So some of the look, I, I was, you know, I, I, from before the show even launched, was aware, hyper aware of uh, Pedro Pascal not being anywhere near that costume. And I got held up a, on a lot on that. Only because it just was in a weird spot to have conversations with people, off-air conversations with people going, God, he's such a good actor. He's got the movements down. And it's like, not really. Um, and I got held up on that. And that's that's our, already three episodes in. I, I forget. I don't care. <laughs> right. Right, because uh, you knew that because, you know, through the, the we hear things in Hollywood, uh, meaning sometimes we literally overhear them. Uh, but but you had had some inside uh, scoop that that was probably not Pedro in the actual costume for yeah. a bunch of the time. Uh, but then you watch it and, and it to me, it does all blend together as one character. There's never a moment where I feel like. Oh, uh, Pedro delivered that line really well, but that's not what wasn't the intention physically of the Mandalorian in that moment. To me, it was always synced up. Yeah, it did. It did sync pretty pretty well. I wouldn't call the stunt guys as good as performers say as Kylo Ren and his physicality, but but I never. Yeah, I, I think Pedro is so good. He's such a good actor, even in a booth. He's just bringing it, and I think they work together. They really did. And you hear reports of that now. Of really kind of, you know. Finding, finding it. So I think you're right. It, it, it always, in the end, is, is synced up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, my big picture takeaway is that uh, I ended up liking the Mandalorian even more than I expected to. And I was excited for it because, hey, it's more Star Wars. It's the first Star Wars on television. I'm interested in the Mandalorians. Hey, from the panel at uh, Celebration, it really does seem like Jon Favreau is going to go back to what our idea of who Boba Fett might have been, this man of mystery, uh, before the prequels, and just kind of put that on a new character in play. So I was excited for all those things. Yeah. And I knew that some other Star Wars fans were excited for, as Jennifer said, edgy, mm-hmm. gritty. Uh, you know, it's all bounty hunters. The Republic's laws don't work here. It's going to be about a bounty hunter going out and getting bounties. And I'm all for that. I love it. It's, a, you know, the action and the adventure and the cool armor. But what put this over the top for me is that the story ended up being about the Mandalorian's morality as he becomes a father (laughs) and the fact that this story is actually action packed, edgy, cool star Wars action all in the service of basically Boba Fett babysitting Yoda was just this absolute bizarre triumph to me. (laughs) When you really put it down to that, that's what it was like uh, it's so much more than that but yeah to actually just imagine your kenner figure with yoda in boba fett's arms is pretty pretty amazing yeah and a look and 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 the, i think there was some this was a lesson in me having to get get over some of my uh, the obstacles i put in front of myself everyone was getting ready for this super super uh, gritty star wars underworld show which by the way i think we did get but if it had stopped yes. there, yeah, if, if it had stopped there, I, I absolutely would not have been pulled in by it. And luckily, got to trust the creators. Um, they knew what to do. And uh, the, it went well beyond what they what the what the trailers promised. Yeah, yeah, it's it's edgy, action packed kindness. And that's what I really like about it is it, it is it's the fun and the thrill and the spectacle of that unique Star Wars action. But it is all in service of Hey, uh, help people when they're down. If you know, you, you meet somebody who needs help, be there for them. It's about found family. It's about all of these really, uh, important true moral tales of star Wars while also having the fun of all the fighting. So, uh, I love that. I love that. Action packed kindness is, is the phrase the world needs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, you know, Ken, and people who listen to the Mandalorian report will know I'm totally fine letting this go. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> stop me from enjoying Mandalorian. I'm lying. I can't let it go because I'm bringing it up again. I'm just I'm amazed and mystified by it. The disappearance of the pulse rifle. I still am. I, I want a whole story about what happened to it. I want it to be that he he left it with somebody on some planet for maintenance. And that's going to be the first uh, episode of season two. Oh yeah, yeah, I like this. He goes and picks it back up. It's just this, this quirky uh, repair person who's just like, "I got it all fixed up for you, there." Yeah, I'm all for that. Your cast, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I think it's 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 one of the uh, weird things about the show that I think clearly a ton of care went into making this show and uh but that pulse rifle, you know, it's we we were all excited about it because oh, it's like the weapon that Boba Fett had and. The animated uh, cartoon in his uh, his big appearance in the Star Wars holiday special, his debut appearance, 
And then it's with the action figures. It's on all the posters. It's a part of his iconography. Other characters comment on what an amazing weapon it is. And then it's just gone halfway through the show. <laughs> Especially because he could have used it. But by episode five, you're like, wait a minute. You really noticed it's gone because he could use that. You need that pulse rifle, buddy. But to go back to our canon conversation, uh, mm-hmm. as we talked about in the Mandalorian report, uh, I'm I, there are a bunch of reasons I can make up head cannon and 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 I can let it go. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd throw it out there because it is something that has clearly uh, stuck with me for whatever pedantic reason. That's fair. Uh, cool. So let's move on then uh, from overall into some more details. What are your favorite individual episodes? I uh, I thought about this. I pulled up the list. I was like, I'm not just going to shoot from the hip. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna look at this. And I and I came down. It was a 50 percent rate here. I, I like episode two, episode three, episode seven, episode eight. Uh, I like a lot of the other thing. I like the pilot. I like there's some great stuff in episode four, five. You could jettison out the spacecraft. I wouldn't miss it. Uh, six had some stuff too. I like too. So, but those are the ones that stood out for me. You know, uh, I, I know some of your challenges with, uh, with episode five, uh, it's a uh, Toro Calican, mm. uh, that, uh, that, that people struggled with, uh, crappy Han Solo. Um, <laughs> and, and episode five did do some setup, I think for future stuff that, mm-hmm. so that was a little bit, um, the, I think held some people back in their full joy. So what is it about these episodes that you listed? How did, why did they get elevated? What, what was going on sort of a mood or thematic that makes those pop to the top of your list? I think with, with two or three, it was especially two coming out of the pilot. You're like, okay, okay, I get it. And we got, we got this little baby Yoda. But two was one was the first time I saw it, which again, to repeat the story for those who didn't hear, I was, I was stuck at an airport in, in Phoenix and I'm watching it. Uh, having been up for like 12 hours watching on my phone in the airport. Um, but it, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, they're doing this with the show. These are little chapters of something different. These are tone poems. This is this is something really different for me, what I wasn't expecting. It just started to pull me in. And yeah, you talk about like the spiritual journey, these action-packed kindnesses. But you could just see right away that this, the Mandalorian was was layers were being peeled back and uh this was going to take us to a different spot and then seven and eight just pay off a lot of the stories seven and eight were a lesson in again i'll say it again patience patience will be rewarded with storytelling because even by episode three you started hearing some of those well what what's happening especially by four by four four five and six seemed like these little standalone missions and everything even though now we know there's some more connections you know that was that was that was the thing. You keep hearing that 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 dreaded term filler episode, which we, we know most most of the time is never true. But um, it just seven and eight were just this like, hey, take a breath, have the patience to feel what's going to happen here, to take this all in and you're going to be rewarded. And I really uh, especially love the ending. Yeah. Just the, the emotional payoff. Yeah, totally. Cool. Um I think I suspected we'd be in agreement on some of our episodes, uh, but my absolute favorite two are chapter two, the child and chapter six, the prisoner. Um, For me, chapter two is exactly like you said, that's when the dime drops and goes, Oh, that's what, that's what this is going to be about. It's about the relationship between the Mandalorian and the child. And there were some great moments of kind of, 
humor uh, with the grittiness in chapter one, but chapter two, the fact that it really is Mando's hard day. It's, it's just the, Hey, okay. I, I sent on this mission. It's a baby. It's a foundling. I relate to it. I can't let it die. And I feel like so many other shows would just be like cut to he's, uh, he's going back and he's has to make his choice about whether or not he's going to deliver it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the fact that this is an entire episode of us meeting the child, Mando meeting the child, I mean, you got the big force power revelation. Uh, but more than anything, that it's Mando just going, I'm just trying to take this baby from point A to point B. And I have to go to, you know, five different points in between. I have to be sent on a side quest by Jawas for an egg they want to eat. And I have to go through hell and almost die for it. That, to me, is the payoff of the, not only the, the you know, uh, kindness of he's trying to take care of the child, but it's also the payoff of the action pact. This is the kind of action I want to see in Star Wars. It's this great, you know, Indiana Jones, Han Solo hard luck action that is so strangely relatable because it's just trying to get through your day and everything is an obstacle. Well said. Uh, Mando's bad day. Uh, and, 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 and I love, love what you're talking about. The, the time having just rewatched episode two this weekend, the time we really get to spend and focus and just stare at baby Yoda uh, the child, the the asset. If you're if you're an evil person, um, it's it, I it, it just love that the show allowed itself to do that. Yeah, yeah, and really, it, we really got to see how amazingly cute uh, the child actually is in, in the range of you know uh, interactions capable, which we will talk more about. Uh, the other one um, that really grabbed me is that chapter six, uh, the prisoner. And uh, there, there is that middle section of the season where it feels like, we're, hey, we're really telling this story of Mando and the child. And then it feels like, oh, are we going into little standalone adventures? Uh, and for me, by the time we got to chapter the six, it's clear to me that all of these episodes were letting us learn something more about who the Mandalorian wants to be for himself in relation to what it means to be a Mandalorian and his relationship with the child. So I was really enjoying where we were getting with that, where he was, you know, trying so hard to uh, just protect the child. But then it's, it's the trappings of this episode. Just like Jennifer was saying, I, I love all of the bounty hunters that we get to meet uh, the Twi'lek Zian, uh, Zian, I think, mm-hmm. um, is great, but just the canon building of what the new Republic looks like in that time, because that was one of the things that I was a little not sure of when they were announcing Mandalorian of like, well, the new Republic's just getting set up. So a lot of the galaxy still sucks. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. But I, you know, I, I want to believe in Mon Mothma and Leia. And I really like this episode seeing that clean, well-managed uh, New Republic ship, the fact that bounty hunters are afraid of the New Republic and their X-Wings being called in because they were a real force in the galaxy. I loved that picture of the New Republic. And I loved how creative all of Mando's uh, butt-kicking was in this episode. It was really, like, you get to see what he's doing, and it's clever. So those were the reasons that Chapter 6 jumped out for me. I, I think Chapter 6 is works really well in... 
you know, if you, especially if you got lulled into with episode four and five being here we go, this doesn't attach to it, uh, anything that we uh, think, think the story's about. It, it's really deep. It's, it's the, these, this meta commentary on the, the prisoners is the Mando and breaking out from his past and, and, and how that fuels into the big lessons. That episode's pretty rewarding upon rewatch as, as, as well as just the action and kind of, a lot of the fun things are in, hey, that's Matt Lanter, and oh, that's the directors of the X-Wing. You can uh, focus on that, too. And, and I think it, 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 um, it's a close one for me. I think if it, if it um, I don't know, it almost got me there. Now, I, I like Bill Burr, but, uh, you know, it, all that stuff kind of worked for me. But uh, it was too, I was too aware that some of the, who the actors were. And that's not a comment on anyone's skills or anything. Just uh, that's, that's a me thing. So you, you were you were getting past the I'm watching Star Wars, not a drop in at the comedy store. Yeah. And oh, hey, that's Mark Boone. And, da, 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 you know, and, and um, I love doing that because I love these people in Star Wars and they're all good performers. And I, I thought Bill Bird did, did great, especially for someone who hates Star Wars. Uh, did OK. <laughs> um, it, but it was the lessons and the lessons. And, and that is that is an episode that I think potentially 10 years ago, I would have started pulling out of the show. And I watch Star Wars different now, and my I, I've grown as a fan. And that was an episode that if you rewatch it again and pay attention to the bigger things beneath it, you're really rewarded. Yeah, uh, and the fun action on top. We've both talked about this a little bit, but I want to just uh, tee it up as a as a straight up question. Now that we have seen the first season, do you feel looking back like it is one big story, or do you think it is one big story with uh, some side quests, standalone side quests in the middle? It's a great, great question. I I think this is going to spin into a giant story, and whether that was original plan or not, I don't know. I I know you know they probably had a couple seasons in mind, and and again, patience will be will be rewarded. I think, but this, it, I don't know at what point Favreau and Filoni, who've been working, you know, the photos, the Instagram photos that we'd see, and all the stuff. At what point did Favreau give up his story, which was a Boba Fett adventure, essentially, right? At what point does he pull in Filoni and let and, and let Filoni, I'll say get his way, but not in that antagonistical kind of way, but turn this into, and then you could have Ahsoka, then you could have maybe Bo-Katan, then you could answer these questions, and then, and then it spins off to something bigger and grand. I, <laughs> I think down the line that we're going to look back and go, Season one truly was like a lot of great shows. Just this first smaller focus look at this larger world. We just happen to really know this world. I, I think that's where we're headed. I really think. Uh, and, and, and it's an interesting challenge because you could also lose focus. I also don't want to lose focus on the Mandalorian and his growth and his continued growth and his connection to the to the bigger picture. I, I tr- I'll have to trust that they're going to keep it on him for as much as they need to or can. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really great way to look at it. I feel like this is going to uh, continue to be uh, while introducing new characters. It is going to continue to be the Mandalorian's journey and the bits of kind of big canon connection and development that we get will be kind of only because the Mandalorian happens to encounter or be near them. So we're only, I think, going to get those big stories in a, in a true tip of the iceberg way. You know, if it is true that Ahsoka shows up, I don't think it's going to show turn into the Mandalorian and Ahsoka Tano show. I think it's going to be, we see Ahsoka because Mandalorian's interacting with her and that'll be it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my guess. I could be totally full of hooey. 
Um, no, I think, I th- I th- sorry, I, I think you're right. I, I, I saw an article, one of those clickbait titles just recently pop up on one of those suggested threads or whatever, and it was like, the, the Mandalorian should be the rebel sequel we all, we all want, and here's why, or something like that. And I just, I just wanted to kick them out of my cafe. You know, just, no. Because <laughs> um, that's, that's, though I want a lot of those answers of a rebel sequel or Soka's journey and Sabine and Ezra and Thrawn, I want all that stuff. I'm invested in that stuff. I don't want it to crash into this. I want it to swing by and do what you've just said, which is it's yeah. Mando's interaction with some of the bigger stories. Yeah. Ahsoka swing by would be great. Uh, yeah. And I, it, for, for me, the, the looking at it that way does unlock this is, yeah, it's one big story. Uh, narratively, we get a strong start of, you know, what is going to become of Mando and the child and the, the Mandalorians uh, need to, deliver him uh, to uh, ultimately uh, Moff Gideon. Mm. And that that's the bookend at the beginning and the end. And then in the middle, there are these uh, three episodes that you could look at as standalone. But if you look at this uh, whole season is, this is telling us the journey of the Mandalorian. Each of those standalone episodes is really important for developing Mandalorian's relationship to being a Mandalorian his relationship to meeting other important people in his life, like uh, Cardoon, and his uh, acceptance of the thing that I'm honor bound to do is is be a father. That journey is impossible without those uh, three middle episodes. I agree. I agree. So, from the, the analogy that I was thinking of, it is. I, I do think it, it's got a little bit of a, a weird feeling because it does take some detours. And then it's like this episode or this season is like if the Mandalorian is definitely going from point A to point B, but he got some kind of crappy Google directions. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some episodes where like he, he takes a turn south and he goes 20 blocks for no reason. And then he has to swing back up, but he learns something down there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a thing that you and I have both talked about as well, and, and it was so funny, a, a good friend of mine back in Minneapolis finally, uh, watched Mandalorian and got to just sit down and binge the whole thing and just posted, I loved watching this video game and he meant it in a positive way. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that. Uh, Mandalorian season one is structured a lot like a video game. He goes on missions and then he levels up and he gets rewards from the armor, uh, he gets assigned very specific kind of video game missions where he has escort missions. He is given side quests in the middle of uh, primary missions. At the end, in particular, that last episode is basically really like a video game cutscene of, you know, you you defeated a, a, a boss level and then you get your jetpack. All that stuff is so video game. So how are you feeling about that? I love it because, look, some of the great modern storytelling is done in video games. Red Dead Redemption 2 is still my favorite movie of the last 10 years, uh, not name a Star War. <laughs> um, I like that idea. And and it's, uh, I don't know, it's just fun. And we, we, just, we were kind of raised on this kind of stuff. And in a way, this in a way, The Mandalorian might be the best video game movie of all time. Who, you know, uh, we'll just see if there's a game made uh, back to the movie. So, uh, it, it, again, whether intentional or not, I'd love to find Favreau talking about that somewhere or, or hear him talk about that down the line. It, it 100%, where especially by the time he goes to the armor the first time and then the second time, you're like, oh, he is, he's literally going to the person in the hut and then you hand them some credits you've earned on your missions and <laughs> you choose what you want. 
Yeah, and you level up. You level up. And it, it's even like a video game. Like, you don't really know how to use the jetpack yet, but practice. <laughs> like, right. so here's your tutorial. <laughs> here's the blurg writing lesson phase of the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's yeah. totally like, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the video game design isn't as well done on the blurg writing. So you got you to gotta figure that out. You um, swing yeah. back and forth and tap X and you ride the blurg. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i i, I get just kind of joy from it because it is funny to me but it is also strangely relatable i think it's because if you have played video games you're familiar with that in it in a strange way it makes me relate to mandalorian even more especially in the earlier episodes when really he's his personality is buttoned down you don't know a lot about him you can project yourself on him a little bit mm. and you know, I remember the first time I sat and watched chapter two and he's just trying to get off planet and the Ewoks are like, go get the egg, suka, suka. Mm. I said out loud to him myself, they gave him a side quest and it made me relate to him more. Uh, uh, you, you said Ewoks, um, which I know you mean Jawas, but now I want to yes, see, I do. I know I want to see a mission with the Ewoks in, in season two. <laughs> yeah, there must have been some uh, secret subtextual wish fulfillment yeah, yeah. that I said Ewoks instead of Jawas. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if he's got to go to Endor in season two? I think he should go to Endor and they should tell him like he has to collect 1,000 Wisties. Yes. That seems like a hard mission. <laughs> That's the whole mission. Uh, moving along. Do you have favorite uh, non-Mando, non-the child characters? All right, scratch that one off the list. Um, yes, I do. Uh, Werner Herzog, just himself. I know he's called the client, but just himself. Uh, I, I do, in the end, I, I love Carl Weathers. And so Grief Karga was going to kind of win, kind of win me over. But the character kind of goes through different kind of, I guess, versions uh, of even the the type of performance he brought to it, some subtlety, and sometimes he's just over the top, but I, I'll put Grief Karga there for sure. Uh, I do like Cara Dune a lot. I, I think Gina Carano grew into this role and will continue to grow into this, grow into this role, but um, her performances aside, good and bad, um, I just love what the, the potential of this character, love the history of this character. I was really excited. Quill, we, we, I mean, come on, that, that might be the best one, but really my favorite character in all of Mandalorian, is the Jawa that says Suka on the bridge of the Sandcrawler well after the joke played out. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. And I enjoyed it in the moment, but it was when you pointed out that they've been riding in that Sandcrawler for a while, and Izzy's driving, he's just absentmindedly saying, egg. <laughs> yeah, just, it's really funny. It's so good. The Jawa who said Suka, MVP of the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, for myself, when I was trying to answer this question, it was a real uh, excitement in that I like all these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, I found myself writing down almost every one. I, I'll, I'll go out there. I, I even like a uh, crappy Han Solo, uh, you know, uh, Toro Calican, because he is, he, he fulfills that function. I think he does what he's supposed to do in, in the episode. Um, but for me... It's got to be uh, Queel. Yeah, I love the way that he was used mm. as this uh, finding wisdom in a place that you didn't really expect and that his nobility and the way that he was able to communicate this big moral of uh, Mandalorian season one that you can change your programming. And 
the fact that I'm sitting here having my head uh, turning about that Star Wars uh, philosophy and it's Nick Nolte is a, a little pig man that's doing it is just perfect Star Wars. Love it. Um, my other favorite character is the armor. Like, um, yeah. She's the one that my mind just kind of drifts to, uh, even in this uh, last uh, episode of the Clone Wars where some Mandalorians uh, showed up. I was like, could one of them be the armor? That would be so awesome. And and she's the one I want an action figure of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think she, she's a, a, a very well acted, very, the, the voice is great. The movements are great. Uh, the look is great. But I think I'm just really captivated, like I said, when we were uh, doing the episode by episode uh, reviews this picture of somebody that the Mandalorian society is such that the person that they would value above all others is the blacksmith because Mm -hmm. their honor and their identity is tied into uh, the armor that that just makes her a really fascinating character to me. Uh, Well said. And yeah, here, here on a, on a figure three and three quarters, six inch, all of them. Give me all of them. Great design. Yeah, yeah. Lotus up with armors. Uh, any other characters that you want to touch on b- before we move on? There's truly a lot to to like in terms of characters in this in this uh, in this series. Uh, even the ones, uh, you know, I, I love Amy Sedaris. Some of the things she did in this her episode episode five worked for me. Some some didn't, but overall, I want an Amy Sedaris Star Wars action figure as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to uh, new additions or different perspectives on canon. So a lot of this really did feel like it was um, either adding to existing canon or kind of testing it and seeing like, can uh, can some different ideas exist at the same time? So what were the ones that worked for you uh, or you were excited to think about? Uh, you mentioned a lot of them, and it, and it really plays well in episode six. Love your perspective on that. On that, the New Republic does have have a place. It's not a this. It's not this uh, a complete failure, or or, or uh, you know slow to start. So I love the canon that both confirms the struggles and the views of it. Some of that stuff early on, the taunting of grief cargo. Well, why don't you? Uh, why don't you go to the inner uh, planets and uh, file a, a complaint with the New Republic? Right? There's this taunting, uh, the kind of the, this joke. Whether and that, again, we we talked um, uh, up top in the news section. Not everything characters say are facts, so that's just kind of on the outer rim. They're going to be rather cynical about a new government stepping up. You know that didn't go well for the last tw- twenty years. <laughs> so that just to confirm that exists, we heard going into the show Favreau and Filoni talking about, oh, you're going to see. Remember that big false kind of false headline that they didn't say people ran with of, oh, you're going to see how the first order starts. And they, uh, you know, the, you read the interviews. It was like, no, you're going to see that the state of the galaxy would lead to pockets of resistance that aren't maybe don't have good intentions swinging on up and the power struggles of the underworld and, and, and who comes to power in this kind of uncertain time. I really like the confirmation of that. And then, like you said, the presence of the new Republic, that it is, it is still functional. It's still something that's going on and it's there. Um, so we can talk more about that. And then I, I did love the details that slowly unraveled of the Mandalorian purge answering one of the great questions of the modern era of where were they during the Civil War? Why weren't they picking sides? What happened? And we're starting to get some of those answers. Love that. Uh, the new and old Mando codes, who takes her helmet off, who doesn't? I struggled with it, but uh, like we preached up top, not going to get caught up in it. I want to see where it goes because 
any other Star Wars storyteller, I'd be having some eyebrows raised, but it's Dave Filoni. This is the guy that helped establish some of our modern uh, Mandalorian era, but who's also very steeped in the Legends um, history of the Mandalorian. So I think he's marrying the concepts, and I'm, I'm curious and excited. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a great list, and, and I, I had that on my list too. Boiling down to that specific moment where, uh, where our Mandalorian says, uh, "You know, Mandalorian isn't a people; it's a creed." Mm. I, I know that was a big part of the idea of the Mandalorians in the expanded universe that people really loved. It was just one of those moments that I, I really like that it it can be both. Yeah, th- there are planets. There's the planet Mandalore and they control other, other, uh, you know, planets and outposts and all that. And they're a people, they're a government, but they're also a creed. And one of their creeds is, you know, you don't leave some innocent kid behind. Mm. And if you work for it, you can become a Mandalorian. And I just love that both of those things can be true. Yeah. Well said. Um, a couple other things that, that really jumped out to me that I really loved about different perspectives on canon. This has been done in the books, uh, in other places, but it's great to see it on screen. Uh, droids as an actual horror show of something to be feared because of the Clone Wars and to see people have, uh, Mandalorian in particular, have basically PTSD yeah. from witnessing the destructive horror of droids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Yeah, we've talked about the growth and different points of view on droids in all of modern Star Wars from L3 on down. Yeah, and K2S and everything. Yeah, so the 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 constant the slowly and rapid where it ends up with IG um, IG11 is is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's in uh, you know one of the Star Wars books that uh, Wu Hare, the bartender at the can- cantina in A New Hope, uh, doesn't want to allow uh, droids in there because he had some bad experiences in the Clone Wars, and I really like that idea on paper but now mm. seeing it seeing the you know traumatic uh, orphan story of uh, the mandalorian mm. it, it makes that moment where uh Wu hair is like uh you know they're not allowed in here get them out your droids you know mm. it, it it pops in a different way on screen now yeah oh that's a i, I like that kind of approach uh, it's more than just more than just a silly little uh, oh, Woher uh, got hurt by droids in, in the Clone Wars with his family. No, it actually adds adds some weight to it. Yeah, there are a lot of people across the galaxy like no, 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 you no, cannot no. trust them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, my favorite thing, and we talked about it on the Mandalorian report as well, uh, but I wanted to shout it out here is uh, finally getting to see things from the Tuscan Raiders' perspective. Um, and uh, don't need to belabor it, but you know, a lot of Star Wars has. Um, with the stories of Tusken Raiders has kind of uh, leaned into tropes of, of they are the dangerous native uh, who is threatening the uh, the settlers. Um, and some of that is just because I think Lucas was pulling from a lot of storytelling that already did that. And he just put it in space. But so then it kind of doubled down on some of those stereotypes. So to have that moment in chapter five where it showed the, that the Mandalorian was empathetic of other cultures and that he was a good listener and that's a good way to be and a good way to get things done. And to see that, yeah, then now that from the Tusken Raiders perspective, it's, it's their land. And if you just talk to them in their language and ask them and offer them something in return, there's no problem. I just adore that. It, it makes me feel so much better about enjoying 
the Tuscan Raiders. It was done really well, really well. I mean, just tackling it is is definitely good, but I think you know it just was just made sense and it was used uh, as well to to like you said grow the Mandalorian character. Not unlike Quill and the Jawas, uh, you know, their Mando has to learn his own lessons sometimes, but uh, a lot of it's your own experiences and everything. So yeah, no, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was a really good moment. Awesome. Uh, let's go into one of the big topics, and that is the uh, star, co-star of the show, Baby Yoda, uh, also known as the child. Why was the character powerful for you personally? I, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. This was a big bucket of cute we know this but it they did not stop there they did not stop there they had an opportunity i love porgs and i think there's a lot of great things about the porgs i love walklings we don't spend a lot of time with baby ewoks but they they could have just stopped at look at this at this cute that character uh, hopefully soon we'll find out the name it explodes after you first meet it in episode one at the very end, right? It explodes into a, uh, just this level of personality, swag, and power that it, that is just something we have never really seen before. <laughs> it is a fully functional character. It's got everything. And then it just grows, and, it, and you are so pulled in. It is not hype. I don't think it's hype at all. I don't think it's just uh, this pop culture you know, uh, E.T. or the Where's the Beef Lady from the Wendy's commercials in the 80s. <laughs> this will stand up more than any of those it's not the annoyed from dominos it is by by episode two you you, you get the finger at episode one and no it is it is with the, the trying to heal and using the force but even before that so much personality there and i just i just think it's just a, a great addition to star wars yeah, it's uh, so well said. Uh, you know, I think a lot of its power is just how well executed the cuteness is. The The blinks are perfect uh, when he's used the force and has to collapse because he's tired and he needs a nap. Uh, when he's uh, being naughty and he wants to touch that button, even though he kind of senses he's not supposed to, it's everything is executed with the actual uh, puppet in the noises perfectly um but I, man i think you you absolutely hit the nail on the head that it's not just cute to be cute it's cute for a cause mm-hmm. uh it's it's what that character represents that 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 uh, little uh whatever yoda yaddle species is mm. uh the child is full of curiosity full of innocence uh it is sometimes in danger it sometimes has great power we see that uh, this little innocent baby use that power to just help instinctively out of kindness to help and heal. We see that babies start to lash out in violence because that's what the baby is seeing. <laughs> and what it adds up to is all of this cute is just like uh, a perfect symbol of choice. Mm. He is a darling, cute, relatable, adorable little blank slate that mm. could be anything depending on how he gets raised by his Mando daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Mando daddy. I love that. No, no. Yeah. uh, You know, like the, the, uh, there's so many quote famous moments when, but but the sipping of the, the broth moment (laughs) uh, that to me doesn't work. If you haven't already built in just that, this is a, this is a character that this is not just a, a, a toy. And, and, and that that works because it is it is a 50 year old. It's still a 
baby. It's still a child, but it's it's got years of experience of looking around and going, yeah, okay, you you too. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> it works because of everything that's comes before it. It's it's so well done. Yeah, in the build up that we kind of all know. I mean, certainly parents, but even people who are not parents can tell. Like Mando, you you can tell that baby to stay, but that baby's not going to stay. Not going to do. And like it. that's part of what makes that broth moment so great. Totally. Oh God, yeah. Uh, here is the most dangerous question I've ever asked you on all of Force Center. Uh-oh. Is there anything you don't like about Baby Yoda? Yes, um, that he has to grow up. <laughs> oh, 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 heartbreaking and very, very true. It's going to be hard if it's it's not Baby Yoda, if it's Tween Yoda in <laughs> yeah. season two, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, I mean this. Uh, this is not... I I I it's not I'm not buying into just some like I said some magazine cover hype. I just think they just nailed this every angle of this character. And that's the only thing. Is that we'll have to we'll have to all we'll have to be like the Jedi. We must let go of the now and and, and embrace the new and the next chapter to come. We don't want to be like the Sith. Uh and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to try to do that for uh uh baby Yoda. I think that's a good one. Uh, my only uh, thing, uh, uh, not against the child. I don't have anything against the child. I just want people to still think Yoda is cool. I don't want to get to a place in fandom where like, nah, I don't need a t-shirt of Yoda. He's the boring old one. <laughs> Give me the child only. That'd be the only thing where I'd, 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 uh, I'd resent that. I think that's a, that's a great That's a great point. That's a great point. Let's not forget Yoda and Yaddle. <laughs> and Yaddle. Um, so Favreau has been uh, saying, hey, hey, I get that the internet just decided to call him Baby Yoda. Uh, the character's name is The Child. Do you think he will ever convince the world at large to call this character The Child? Not until there's a name in its place. And even then, it's too late. It's out of the bag. I know he, you know, Iger publicly comment on it. Oh, I'll be in trouble from John. I, I got to say The Child. Totally get it. It's just one of those things, you know, uh, if uh, I know there, I know the word Lego is not Legos. They, it's never Legos. I'm just going to say it and you're just going to have to <laughs> deal with it. And that's what it is. Yeah. Do you think when we actually learn the character's name and it is like a uh, that will just say it, it's, you know, Yupel uh, the baby Yoda. <laughs> Oh, yeah, baby Yoda, Yupel. Um, Yupel, Yupel better be the name. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's going to be hard. No, it's going to be hard. It's just, it's, that is what it is. That's the name. And there's nothing we can do about it. Yupel, God bless you, Yupel, but you're going to be baby Yoda. You're going to, it's going to be like a child actor. It's going to be like a child actor. You know, I, I, I got to meet and work with uh, Jonathan Lip Nikki a little bit in Screen Junkies. And he was even joking. He's like, I get it. I'm the, my head is eight pounds, Jerry Maguire kid. I get it. I don't want to be that anymore, but I get it. So that might be it. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda will be smoking a cigarette. Go, my name's Yupel. I, I'm, I'm Yupel, but this is what they know me as. Look at all these tattoos. Treat me as an adult. <laughs> Treat me as an adult. Um, anything. You had a lot of great things to say about uh, the personal impact of the, the child, Baby Yoda, on you. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say about the general cultural impact, or do you feel like your experience is is similar to what the big picture experience is? I think mine mine is similar to, to whatever. I mean, you know, it just was rolled out. Uh, I had heard some some rumors before, and this is the thing, too. It's because I, I had heard some of those around the town rumors that there was going to be a, a young Yoda species in, in the show, and 
So towards the end of the first episode, I was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess those rumors are true. And it just smashed through any expe- expectations I might have had. It just, I mean, just, just, just destroyed any expectations. Took it into wonderful levels. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to save up enough allowance to get the life-size Baby Yoda, but it's on my <laughs> list of things to do because I just, I want it in my life. <laughs> you know, like I just, it's so real to me, that character. It's yeah, so real. Yeah. I just I want it, I want it around. Like, I want to I want to talk to it. I guess I have a wonderful girlfriend and two wonderful chihuahuas, and we're surviving this <laughs> lockdown really well. But can you imagine adding a, a little baby Yoda in the corner of your apartment or your house or your backyard and just being like, "Hey, what's up, Yupal? I'm going through this." Oh, oh it, it makes me so happy <laughs> to think of a little a little Yupal hanging out. I got the. Uh, the uh, Black Series and the Funko Pop on order for whenever uh, shipping is appropriate yes. in our new world. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, just culturally, I, I think it was it was really great to see something Star Wars related just kind of have the pretty much universal reaction. You know, uh, maybe, maybe a handful of pockets of people here or there having a problem. Uh, but just bringing so much joy and and people calling it the Baby Yoda show and celebrating the great gift moments. It's just great to have that celebration around Star Wars. Absolutely. It was a unifier, and it was a, that's a big plus. Yeah. So uh, let's head into Season 2. We looked back at Season 1 a bunch. Let's talk about what might be coming next. Um, I want to start with the big cliffhanger. Again, like I said, we're total spoilers. Where do you think we're going with uh, Moff Gideon and igniting that Darksaber? Definitely intriguing, right? This was kind of the big thing, and I love that they leaned into it. It's not on a big a scale as... Maul showing up in Solo, and you just kind of have uh, have to have that faith that all right, people will pick up that he didn't die in Phantom Menace. Uh, I, I did get some people. I got some texts. Why is there a dark lightsaber? Uh, people will learn, and I love that they took that shot. I think this is where the story will start to open up. It adds. It, it turned for me. I, I, Giancarlo Esposito, great. I love. I love the character. They just kind of stood there talking, <laughs> just talking <laughs> in the place. But it just it immediately added some some credibility to me. He was no longer just this leftover warlord trying to grab some power while he could. There's something real going on, and something bigger going on, and I'm excited for that. I'm excited where that will go. Yeah, I think he's, he's really well set up as being well known, horrific war criminal that they thought oh, they had executed, and nope, he is alive and kicking and wants things. Right? He's not just a kind of I'm a bad guy and I'm trying to take over like. Uh, I think that's what excited me about seeing the dark saber. It was the canon thing of oh cool, but it, for me, I got so excited because it felt like the, the end of season one is is really Mandalorian kind of coming to terms with this new idea of what it might mean to be a Mandalorian and, and getting this validation from the armor, like you, you know you're you're a clan of of two, you and this foundling, and and that's what you should be doing is protecting this foundling. So you got this real positive on one side, and then you got the the other side of here is this guy who seems kind of obsessed with uh, defeating Mandalorians and he has stolen yeah. their sword, their symbol of who they are. Makes me feel like season two is going to head into this battle for the soul of, of Mandalore. I love what you just did there, buddy. I love you tying into what it is. This is goes to our conversation back in the news. 
the great canon is cool. The sword we all know, the lightsaber we all know, the dark saber. Yay! It doesn't stop there. And how does it tie in? Ties into what it means to Mandalorian, to the things he just learned. I mean, this is good stuff. And then, of course, could bring in a lot of other potential characters and everything we know that that are going to go beyond just the canon checklist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I still think that that uh, I guess not less, not much a, of a prediction, but more of a desire. I think it would be cool. I like the idea that Gideon is obsessed with power, and he and he wants Baby Yoda to somehow take his power, right. that power for himself. That's a really interesting idea to me that we uh, we haven't really seen in uh, in at least kind of modern canon Star Wars. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so you just mentioned that other existing characters uh, might pop up. Which characters do you think or want to show up? I well, we can start with what we believe to be happening with Ahsoka. And again, if if it happens, and I have reason to believe some of those reports are true. Outside of outside of any, I haven't heard any scuttlebutt. And I haven't been going. None of us are going to parties. We're locked down. <laughs> um, let's assume that's uh, true. I, 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 you said it earlier. I don't think it'll be a big, uh, I think it'll just be a, a small, small scene, a small impact that will lead to more. I really, I, I'm, I really believe, especially now with the Clone Wars, uh, this past week, I, I, Bo-Katan, I'm telling you, live action, Katie Sackhoff in the role, I, I'm absolutely, and I think this, I think that could be t- potentially bigger. It's a Mandalorian, and, and she's the last one with the damn blade. You you telling me she won't come up unless she's dead, you know? Unless that unless Moff Gideon starts season two going, oh, I killed the person who had this last. Uh, okay, but even then, until until you know, like Game of Thrones, unless you see the blade through their heart, don't believe it. So I absolutely think that uh, is characters who I think, uh, as far as want, I could have some other wants, but I'll let you go there. Yeah, I, I think you're you've been on the uh, the Bo-Katan uh, uh, bandwagon here uh, showing up for a while. And I think you're right. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Katie Sackhoff is a character that uh, an actor that could step into that character. That makes uh, a lot of sense with sort of uh, the caliber of her career and performance. And I, I'd be very excited about that because I think it will bringing uh, our Mandalorian face to face with Bo-Katan will really create some interesting storytelling for how do these different Mandalorian cultures and philosophies work together and why is uh, the way that this Mandalorian was raised was to never take off your helmet uh, but that didn't seem to be the the way that Bo-Katan or the rest of the Death Watch was behaving that'd be really interesting storytelling reasons for that yeah. that canon to, to come up well see that's see I want that to be like the first scene if she walks in and you're like Oh, and then she takes her her helmet off, and and Mando's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you can't do that." <laughs> he was raised strict Mandalorian. You don't take the helmet off. <laughs> Love that. Uh, so other characters, you know, I, I think I think there's a possibility for for Rex. Um, mm. That would be intriguing to me. Um, I think there's a, a slim possibility, and I would certainly have an interest in not only Hera. But Hera and young Jason. Ooh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, both of those. That's that's some, they could pull that off. Yeah, um, because the the way we leave it, uh, of course, is that Mando's been kind of given his new assignment by the armor of, well, you should be uh, the child's people, this foundling's people, until you find his actual people, 
And I think his people are these uh, uh, mystical warriors. Uh, so yeah. go find some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's that's been one of the uh, the biggest uh, canon Jedi thirst traps <laughs> yeah. for myself. Of that that means. Are we going to find a new character in is Mandalorian stumbles around the galaxy going, you, you know, anything about uh, moving crap with your mind? Anybody, anybody, anybody. who is he going to run into who knows something? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, that's got to pay off in some way. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And unless they're going to de-age uh, Mark Hamill and toss him in there, uh, which I wouldn't be opposed to, um, you know, that it's going to come from another source. Yeah. Uh, who else are, 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 you said you didn't have any other predictions, but you had some wants. Who, who are other wants? I am to the point, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about it more. So I'm just going to say two, two little words, Boba Fett. Okay. Put okay. It, we'll come back. Got it. But as far got as, it. got it. As far as want, I would love, you're not going to suddenly go out to the unknown regions and, and, and have Ray Sloan there. I still want, I'm still holding out hope that <laughs> maybe a name gets mentioned. Infus Nest is a possibility. I want Infus to show up anywhere. I suggest her for everything. Like Frozen 2, I want Infus Nest in there. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but if she survives or goes on and there's some, some this is kind of the world she would live in to me, you know, uh, I'd love to see what happened with that character, regardless of, of what's going on in Mandalorian. It's a possibility. But um, my wild card one. We, we, we know that this is a scene that inspired Favreau and the figures that inspired Favreau. You, gotta, you cannot tell me that Dengar is not going to roam around this world. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd really, really like that. That would be awesome. Dengar, Cad Bane, or Embo. All three oh, of them yeah. together would be great. Yeah, I, and th- here's the thing with with uh, with Dengar, and it doesn't look like it would necessarily be season two, or we might have heard this. You know, why not just toss, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what's his name, Simon Pegg, who voices him uh, in the game, right? Just toss him in there. Yeah, he, he why did. not? Yeah, he did. Come on, let's just let's go, Dengar Nazi. Great. Yeah. Um, so moving on to Ahsoka, this is a thing we, we've talked a lot about. Uh, who is going to play Ahsoka? Are these rumors true or that? But what we haven't been able to get into is really deeply what her role in the Mandalorian is. Mm. And uh, for me, I'll throw this out here. I, what makes sense to me is she's a really interesting character is somebody that the Mandalorian can encounter and ask wh- what is who, who exactly were the Jedi that I've heard these rumors about, who, you know, where, where does this kid come from? What is, what's, what do you mean the force? All of those questions. That seems like a really great character for him to run into. She, she'd have the right answers, the real answers, uh, depending again, what's going on with her. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think she would, a lot of people believe now she kind of best represents the Jedi or what the Jedi are supposed to be in this modern era. So she'd have those answers. And then also, especially if she's tied into the siege of Mandalore, uh, as someone who has helped before might help again. Again, not know who knows. She might return with, um, you know, might return with uh, with uh, Ezra and something totally different. But I think it's just related to this that that works for me. Yeah, I think that's my one uh, tiny thing. I'm I'm super excited for Ahsoka to show up in Mandalorian season two. We've talked about all of the the ups and downs with the casting, uh, but the one thing about it is is wondering. If uh, if this has been five years uh, since the end of, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi, end of the war, if that means that Ahsoka has already gone off and with Sabine and whatever's happened with Ezra has happened and she's back, 
that that to me is a that's a big canon choice because it means that that the story of the the search for Ezra is contained. Yeah, <laughs> smaller than we think or want or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or maybe it's just a direct uh, setup if that animated series is coming. Uh, moving along then, do you think that this, uh, season will have a similar structure to season one? Do you think season two will have kind of one big main story, but still have those little side quests? I I hope it's a little more streamlined now that we've done kind of the world building and and the main players are are in place. So you're going to have maybe one or two episodes of, all right, here, here's where everyone is in the story. So I hope it's a little more constantly forward moving, but having, you know, again, Episode two is probably my favorite episode still, and it is just this—it's uh, just this piece of poetry, man. That that is just takes its time. Not a lot of dialogue. The action is purposeful. Uh, I, I would like more of that, so I'm going to leave some room in my brain for for more of that. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, a part of me—I think it's just the, the reason that people kind of wanted the foot on the gas of the main story in the first season is because they love the main story. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me is like, yeah, hey, the Mandalorian uh, searching out uh, the truth of the child uh, with all of you know coming back to his friends uh, when he needs them. Great. Put your foot on the gas of that story. I suspect that they're going to tell the story the way they want to. And I think that's going to include some of these a little bit more episode of the week uh, side quests where we learn about the character, but foot isn't on the gas necessarily for the the big picture story. 100% agree. What do you think will be at stake for the Mandalorian himself in season two? So I was trying to look. So season one, what, what do we mostly think? He is about him rediscovering himself, facing his past traumas, establishing identity, and the big theme of, of reprogramming, changing, uh, IG-11 kind of representing a lot of that, the lessons of Quill. So now that we're kind of at the end of that, maybe he has broken out of the prison of, of who he was. Um, does season two, do we take it in the direction of, you know, he, he's someone who who definitely, uh, a life of solitude is seems to be to his liking, even with this child. A lot of what's going on is not uh, returning the child to where it belongs, but traveling around with it. That kind of changes at the end with the mandate that you talked about from uh, the armor. So from there, how, how well does he keep the lessons of trusting others and finally maybe being part of a bigger cause, which is similar to some things we've seen in star Wars before, but we all must ask ourselves that question at some point. And maybe this is a Mandalorian in season two. Can I stop being alone and now go to the the bigger fights? Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I think your your summary of what he was wrestling with in the first season is great. Um, I think I was focusing a little bit in season one on I think part of what he's trying to do is he is trying his best in this new world and in not great circumstances to be the best Mandalorian he can be. Uh, but he's trying to be a Mandalorian the way it's been laid down for him since he was a child. Uh, and he's trying to be a Mandalorian in the old ways. And then there's this kind of surprise, this relief that the armorer tells him like, no, just having a, having a clan of your own with baby Yoda, maybe that starts to include Kara and other people that he encounters that that's also a way to be a Mandalorian. So I wonder if his journey in season two is going to be, uh, I trust that I have honor. I trust that I am a Mandalorian and I get to build my own clan in what does a Mandalorian mean in, in my clan? 
Yeah, I, that's well said. Yeah, well said. The the found family thing that pops up a lot in Star Wars uh, these days, which is uh, it's, which is a great thing to have and go into. Uh, but that it's directly said by the armor. This is your clan. This is your clan now. So uh, it's like an A team of Mandalorians. <laughs> and the A team of Mandalorians, a great theme. Uh, so now that the fans have uh, seen season one, I think they watched it. Uh, all of us with uh, open hearts and open minds, which was great. Do you think that fans, uh, ourselves included, will have more expectations and will be a little bit maybe more critical of season two because now we have a framework for the Mandalorian show that we love? Oh, get ready for it. Oh, (laughs) here it comes. A lot of it's not as good as season one. It lost its way. What are they doing? And that's not just angry car guy videos. I'm saying expectations are now present and we all have got to kind of release ourselves of that a little bit to speculate responsibly. If you're now thinking, Great. oh, my God, I read an article. They're doing Ahsoka. She's going to be a character in the show. And she shows up to drop off a cape and walks out. Uh, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> yep, this is the big challenge. This is the big challenge of this show going forward. I trust in what they're going to do. I really do. I think they've got it. I think they've got a handle on it. Shows can go bad, though. We know. And uh, our shows can make decisions that challenge people and therefore it's viewed a little less favorably. There's a lot of different ways this can go. So that's going to be the big question for me in season two. Yeah. Same same thing with me. Uh, I think that's part of my uh, obsession with the pulse rifle is I am delighted that nobody seemed to care that it disappeared halfway through the show in it's, it was just kind of a beautiful blessing that everyone was watching this show with such an open heart and an open mind Mm. of that kind of a a weird thing like that didn't seem to bug anybody. And I don't bring it up because I think people should be bothered. Mm. I bring it up because I think it's so awesome (laughs) that we didn't. Uh, And and I want to challenge myself uh, to, watch the se- the second season with the, an open heart and an open mind and not load myself up with expectations of exactly what I want it to be. Yep. That's the lesson for us all. <laughs> all right. We are going to, we could talk for hours about just uh, season one and season two predictions for the Mandalorian, but we are going to wrap up with the ongoing question. It was a question that was framed by the uh, controversial uh, chapter five uh, with the boots at the end. Boba Fett or no Boba Fett? I think, I think it's Boba Fett. I think we will see Boba Fett. And I am excited about that possibility now. And I don't think I was and was probably dead set against it. And also probably predicting that it would not happen at the start of all this. But I, 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 I think I'm putting myself in the I want it category. Why do you want it? Seeing how they have handled a lot of their story and how they tell their story and how they play with the characters or the things we know, I, I now have a lot of trust in, in what they're going to do. And I do want the official canon answer of Boba Fett now. I do want it. I, I love the interlude stuff with Cobb Vanth in Aftermath and the hinting at it and everything, but... Um, it made sense to me why they didn't want to make it a series because there was a potential of the movie still, right? Probably when this is all being developed and Favreau, hey, I want to do Boba Fett. No, nah, you can't. Now that's been cleared up, I think they can find a way to, to work it back in. And if he's alive, I think he'd figure this, uh, the existence of the Mando out and he'd want to be involved or be involved somehow. 
Uh, that's great. I think those are all uh, great thoughts. I, for me, I, I uh, lean toward believing that the, those boots are Boba Fett, and I desperately want Boba Fett because now that we got the Mandalorian, he's all established. Not only like you're saying, the, the final modern canon answer of Boba Fett surviving the Sarlacc would be great, but you know everything that's been built up with Boba Fett in isn't being was going to be in some of the later seasons of Clone Wars, but isn't now that Floney's finishing it. Mm. I want to finish that story of what is it like to be the uh, child of this template of clones mm-hmm. and then to go on to this life of being the galaxy's most feared bounty hunter. And you did all that while stealing the culture of the Mandalorians, if that continues to be the story and and really digging into yeah, Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian because it, it's it wasn't his right, and he's even disrespecting the armor. Or he is in modern canon a Mandalorian from some perspective. Man, would I love to dig into that. If if this spins off, and I don't want it to be the focus, but just think of think of what, what you're hitting at there. If it spins off into this great question we've had uh, going back to the Clone Wars of Django. No, 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 no. Django Fett was not a Mandalorian, and there, and then to have. Boba Fett lost in this world, humbled by his death, you know, uh, 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 the believed death and having to crawl out of it without his, his, uh, if they stick with the, 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 the interlude established story with Cobb Vanth and everything. Though, again, there's never a 100% answer that Cobb Vanth was wearing his own armor. But if he crawls out without that identity and has to rediscover it and somehow is taken in, maybe it's this feel-good pulling the heartstring story of the the Mandalorian comforting Boba Fett and pulling him into his tribe. And then you become a Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett's like, well, I was, I always, I was told I can't be a Mandalorian and hand on the shoulder. You can, you can, I mean, come on. I'm, I'm here for that. Boba Fett, the Candalorian. I think that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. All right. And we will, uh, we will leave our conversation there. Oh, Ooh, no, I lie. I, I know that you and I both want to say this, so I'm going to say it. The music is amazing, right? Oh, yeah. People would scream at us, rightfully so, if we forgot that. Uh, it's it's uh, Ludwig uh, Gornson. Just, just whew, uh, what a victory for him. Uh, ex- did exactly what he wanted to do. Something like Star Wars, but totally new. And, everything. and, and now it is just like... You know, I think Grace was humming it the other day around the house. Just uh, you know, I was rewatching that pilot, and when he first walks in, uh, the little, little, the little whistle that kind of walk like, like, oh God, yeah, it's it's already in my blood, in my brain is Star Wars music. It is. It is one of those pieces of music. All, all I like all of the music, uh, but but in particular that sort of main theme. You you hear that main theme and you hear those whistles and you're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's hang out with the Mandalorian right now. It just it makes you want to see the the Mando in action, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So that is our big look at The Mandalorian Season 1 and some thoughts about uh, Season 2. And there will be, of course, a lot more in the months to come. Absolutely. And from there, we are going to go to our Power of the Light Side segment. This is a segment made possible by our Patreon supporters. And Joseph, you're going to put a, a request out for more submissions very soon, right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. There's an active one on our uh, Patreon. If you're at the, uh, the supporting us at ten dollars or higher, we would love to hear uh, more thoughts from you uh, on uh, why you love Star Wars for this particular segment. Uh, I should also do a, a quick shout out. Uh, our, some of our patrons have been asking a question I put out about lightsabers uh, for another potential experimental uh, Force Center project, and we'll have more info on that soon. But uh, thanks to all the patrons who have contributed there. Do you want to? read this uh power of the light side for this weekend absolutely love to be my honor this one comes from will culbertson and will writes as a kid in the mid 80s i knew for a fact that i was a better starfighter pilot than luke skywalker i had proof you see every once in a while my family would venture out to the nearest showbiz pizza place now called chuck e cheese and i was fortunate enough to get to play the rare cockpit cabinet version of the legendary atari star wars arcade game Using the then state-of-the-art 3D color vector graphics, I was able to climb into my X-Wing, blow up some TIE Fighters, and then proceed down the Death Star Trench before blowing it to Kingdom Come, just like Luke did before me. And just like Luke, I had Obi-Wan telling me, via the surround sound speakers built in the cabinet, to use the Force. And Han Solo chiming in with, Yahoo! You're all clear, kid! All the while, the Star Wars theme blasted around me in its, all its electronic glory. But unlike Luke, I didn't just have to blow up one Death Star. Oh, no. I had to blow up three, with each one being harder than the last. It was just basic math. Will three, Luke one. Proof positive from the mind of an eight-year-old. Oh, Will, that is a great story. And that <laughs> arcade game is truly one of the great experiences as a Star Wars fan. Seeking it out. Going to find a Mom, can I take the allowance money down? And it did exactly what Will's describing, Joseph. It pulled you into the story. You're in it. You're in that world. Yeah, and it's it's still good. I've played it at a, a couple of different arcades in Los Angeles, and that game is still great. And I, I love Will's eight-year-old logic that uh, three Death Stars prove you are the chosen one. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Will, thank you so much for your power of the light side as we shine the light on the positive uh, moments and memories of fandom here in Star Wars. Now it's going to go to our time for the, to go to our audience questions, and we're going to Twitter here uh, first from uh, DTLA17. Uh, DTLA writes: If you were a historian, architectural art or culture during any Star Wars era, what planet would you want to work on? If you managed a museum in that planet, what would be the permanent installation, or what historical site would you operate tours for? This is. I still am struggling with my answer. I've been thinking since I read this here. Joseph, what do you have? Yeah, this is normally the kind of answer where I would think and think and come up with the eight options and have to try to, you know, call it down. Uh, it means a lot to me because uh, my wife uh, works for uh, many historic properties and I've been a in past. But what just jumped to my mind is the one and only thing is I want to be on Naboo. Mm. I want to be in the era after Return of the Jedi in the New Republic era, and I want to build a museum of truth. Uh, <laughs> there are stories where there's like a, there's a Palpatine museum there that's kind of, you know, during the Imperial era, you know, all the propaganda. And I would want to build a museum that like, look, this is what's really happened. This is who this Palpatine guy was. This is how he manipulated people. This is how the Gungan and the Naboo work together. We're a symbiote circle. Come walk into the symbiote circle room and just everything. <laughs> truth, truth, truth. That's great. 
A museum of truth. Oh my God, that's great! Uh, right on, right in Palpatine's backyard. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> stuff there. Um, I see. My my answer. The reason I was I was kind of struggling is, I kind of I I, I kind of want to go to Ilum. <laughs> and wanna, yeah, obviously, pre Star Killer Base. But just now that, and this is, and this is funny because you know, Fallen Order uh, is is a game that I like, and a lot of people love it, but I like it. But having gotten to go into Ilum and and really see it from you know on the ground as opposed to just the the very wonderful uh, gathering episodes on the Clone Wars, there's so much history there. I I, I could see. I just you know, would they allow? Would the Jedi want to you know have a franchise gift shop going on? I don't know. I don't know. There seems a lot of history there. It truly be Jedi history. <laughs> but as far as the rest of the galaxy, you know, um, maybe, eh, all right, I'll say it, Mustafar. <laughs> <laughs> especially the more we've learned. a lot of ice cream cones. Yeah, especially what we've learned and what it might have been before, before some of those events in the, in the comic series, uh, the different parts of it. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be a popular attraction, but there's a lot of interesting history there. I'd like to, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Vinay can help me set it up. Maybe maybe Fortress Vader was a museum. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there were artifacts. Yeah. Lots and lots of artifacts. <laughs> From a certain point of view. Ham Lushbow writes, Would you be interested in a Disney Plus series that explored in great detail one of Newt Gunray's four Supreme Court trials? And I wrote to myself in all caps, yes, I want all of them. I want all of them. This is built for Netflix, but on Disney Plus, a docu-series, The Trials of Newt Gunray. That is exactly right. We have the same note. Yes, in all caps, uh, four seasons, <laughs> uh, a trial per season. Yep. <laughs> Newt Gunray versus the Republic. Absolutely want it. Um, I would love some of this storytelling because I like this part of Star Wars. I like that part of uh, the prequel era that, you know, it's it's a little a bit of a clunky and sudden delivery by um, good old Seal Bibble and Attack of the Clones. Of, Can you believe it? Uh, but if you dig down into what it is, I'm like, yeah, we saw that. He and that guy invaded Naboo. He killed people yeah. and he's he just got off four times. Oh, yeah. How'd that happen? Look, I want this to be narrated by C.O. Bibble. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know? And in his second trial, like just just do this like a like a like a true Hollywood story or any kind of the docs that we love now on Netflix. Just do it like that. I'm telling you, yeah, this is a win. This is a big win. You got to go picture. Yep, hollow doc all the way. Uh, to Patreon we go. We've got a quick couple questions here. Alex Lloyd, let's reimagine the scene where Rey finally hears the voices of the Jedi past, giving her strength to rise against the Emperor by replacing all the things. Now listen carefully. This is what by replacing all the things the Jedi spirits tell her with some of their lines from previous films and TV shows. For example, instead of Qui-Gon Jinn telling Rey, every Jedi who ever lived lives in you, imagine if he'd just simply say, Rey, there's always a bigger fish. Whose lines would you change and to what? Joseph? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The first thing that came to my mind is Mace Windu saying, this party is over. Bing, 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 bing. We both have the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of fun ones, uh, but this party is over is delightful. Do you have other ones? I do. I would like Ahsoka just to say, you're stuck with me, Sky Guy. 
I want o- Obi Wan just to. I want Obi Wan to be like. I don't seem to remember ever owning a droid. Like he's still worried about it. Like he's still thinking about it <laughs> all these years. Like that's oh, really weird. A droid. Uh, then uh, the final two. I want Anakin just to say, "Are you an angel?" Which I think would work for Ray. She'd be like, "Yeah, kind of am right now." And then. Um, <laughs> It's not necessarily canon, but it is in my heart. But I'd like Yoda just to repeat, uh, Seagulls, stop it, please. Do, 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 do. And I think Ray would just be so inspired, she'd jump up to fight the Emperor. <laughs> Those are great. Those are great. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be happy with uh, Obi-Wan doing a nice uh, hello there. That, that would be lovely, would as always. I think the other one that I really want is I want Yoda uh, making the noise uh, from when Luke drops him on Dagobah. <laughs> that would work, too. Final one of the day comes from our, our friend, uh, listener, and supporter, Kai Thatch. Uh, Kai writes, uh, hey, uh, you can take only two members of the Bad Batch on a mission with you. Who do you take? This is tough. This is tough, Joseph. Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can include Echo in this batch now. So who are you taking? Oh, yeah. That, uh, I, I, I had not focused on that. It makes it harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Tech and Crosshair. I like those characters a lot. And they're real... They're real uh, functional, right? Tech uh, tech can do lots of different things. In Crosshair, you can really strategize because you can uh, you can try to take uh, enemies out before they even know that you are there. And I, I know I considered Wrecker. Uh, Wrecker would probably be the most fun to hang out with, but he's also a loose cannon. <laughs> and I don't want a loose cannon on a mission with me. Well, I'm taking I'm taking Wrecker and Tech. Uh, you love Wrecker so much. <laughs> but the thing about Tech, Tech... Hunter's great. Uh, Crosshair's great. Tech, because he can fight. He's not just some computer IT guy in a uniform. You know, he he's a clone, man. He's he's functional. So he he might be the most versatile of them all. And I think he can get us out of a pinch. But Wrecker, it's hard for me to separate myself from my love of Wrecker. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, great stuff, Kai, Alex, uh, Ham Lushbow, and DTLA. Thank you. If you have a question for us, want to join the conversation on today's episode, just reach out on Twitter. Follow us at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. We are planning another edition of Star Wars Show and Tell very soon. Some more in the works. And yes, we have uh, we have uh, Jennifer Landa. Is uh, we're working on a schedule where she can pop on the show too. She has a lot of Star Wars memorabilia. She wants to talk about without a doubt don't forget the podcast available in a lot of different spots like our heart radio apple podcast google podcast stitcher and tune in search for it uh, on many uh, different uh, locations if it's not there let us know we have merch at tpublic.com slash user slash force center and joseph uh, we're over on patreon patreon.com slash force center new goals on the way that's right. Uh, we're always taking a look at Patreon and seeing uh, what else that uh, we can offer. Uh, right now, we can get uh, onto our Discord and have uh, fun conversations with uh, great Star Wars fans. Uh, we throw out a lot of questions to our patrons as you hear by listening to the show and hopefully got more stuff coming. If you're interested, you can check it out at patreon.com slash force center. Indeed, indeed. we got our own things working on. Live shows might be on hold for a while, but you can follow me at Catnapsock or go to catnapsock.com. And for Joe of, uh, you can head to his websites, right, sir? That is right. Also, live shows on hold, but you can check out my podcast, Obsessed. I just recorded our 300th episode, uh, and you can find info on that in uh, my old comedy albums on my website at josephsgrimshot.com, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at josephsgrimshaw. 
Do it, do it, do it. All right, my friends, if you did not get a chance to go back and review The Mandalorian, don't let this show be the last thing you do about it. Go in and watch the episodes again. I think you'll find yourself rewarded. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for supporting us during this time. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Well, we're all focused on bigger things, but we're happy to be part of uh, maybe uh, some simple, pleasurable distractions. So for Joseph, Jennifer... And uh, Boba Fett, wherever he may be, we'll see you next time. This was Force Center. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at Aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.